Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 273. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Hey, it's spooky season. Yes, it's October. It's October 2nd as we yeah. record this episode. Uh, uh, I'd like to make a request. Oh yes. When Connor's not here while it's spooky season. Can you put a picture of Michael Myers there? <laughs> They're both equally a soulless with eyes dark as the devil's. I mean, there's a logic there. I can't. I can't deny. Uh, yeah. It may be. A, it may be a more cheery conversation coming from Myers. Um, right. <laughs> Just yes. breathing. Uh, it's, it's spooky season. I I already got a couple of horror movies in last night. Uh, Ooh. Not, not not. I mean, one was the Island of Doctor Moreau, which was mm-hmm. somehow the, the Richard Spencer one. Uh, well, uh, he was uh, supposed to do. The small and Brando's on it with uh Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, David Lewis and Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, yeah, for the ball because the cat girl. It's somehow batshit insane, but also really dull at the same yeah. time, and I, it's really quite impressive just how. When mediocre it's not is. spooky season and you have time, there's a fantastic documentary. I've heard about of this. Make- yeah, yeah, with Richard Spencer in it, and he talks about doing black magic to curse the set. Uh, and also gave me one of my all-time favorite quotes, mm-hmm. where he goes, "Everything was going swimmingly until I met Val Kilmer." Um, <laughs> and and yeah, so it's a fantastic documentary about that. I forget the guy that took it over. Um, just kind of came in and did a workman cut. Was trying to wrangle Marlon Brando. It got to the point that Brando would only come to set if Val Kilmer wasn't there, and Val Kilmer said he'd only go to set if Brando was there. So they didn't get a whole lot done. Um, so can you imagine trying to piece that movie together? I mean, the the the, the end result certainly uh, goes along with all these stories. I'll say that much. Uh, not not a delightful time. I also watched a movie called Pledge Night, which was fun in the end. It's a really weird structured movie. It's like forty two minutes of like pledges, uh, fraternity getting just tortured mm-hmm. during Hell Week. Right, and it's like forty-two minutes, and there's not even a hint that there's a killer, or that there's going to be a killer, and then all of a sudden, at the forty-two minute mark, the killer shows up, and from that point on, the murders happen like once every three minutes. Like it is just constant from that point on. Is it, it is it fun though, or is it tedious? Uh, that's mostly. I'd say it's mostly fun. There's like there's a couple of you okay. know pacing lulls here or there, but because like because like I got really excited for what was it was it uh, Hellfest. The one that was set in a theme park. Oh yeah, that was just um, okay. Yeah, and th- those kills were just kind of, eh, you know. And and the killer wasn't that charismatic, just kind of going around in a black mask. Um, no, this is more. Well, it's just there's two different types of killer in it, but what one's kind of like bad actor, maniacally laughing. So that's that's funny. Yeah. Um. But then thanks, the thanks to a friend this week, and and it came at the right time. Uh, you know, I went to a concert last week with a friend, and so we've been talking music. And he goes, "Have you ever listened to Ice Nine Kills?" And I was like, "I've heard of them, but the name kind of put me off." And he goes, "Oh, they have a whole album that's about horror movies. So each one of the songs is based around a different horror movie, and it's fantastic. Like it, I mean, it, it's silly metalcore, screamy type stuff. So if you don't like that, but like, there's a song about Jaws. There's a song. Um, there's a, a Halloween." Friday the 13th, Nightmare. Uh, but there's a Silent Night, Deadly Night one that sounds like a Christmas song. 
<laughs> and it's made me want to finally watch it, but I don't know if I'm going to watch it now or wait till closer to the holiday season. I'd say Christmas. I'd say, I'd say Christmas horror belongs in December, not in October. Yeah, true. That's my stance so, on that. So I'll probably, I'll probably get to it finally, and maybe watch the original Black Christmas while I'm at it because I've seen the remake and that was okay. What remake? Uh, Black Christmas. No, which remake? There's two remakes. Oh, the the um the most recent one. Okay. <laughs> the, the the one with an amorphous villain that was kind of like, oh, this is not what I signed up for. Um, you know, I wanted a, yeah, a guy. Plot, the plot's very different uh, than yes. the original to that one. I, wish I forgot there was the one with Lacey Chabert, which is more traditional remake. Um, that one's not too good, right? Also, Michelle Trachtenberg, who you may know from the hit television show uh-huh. Buffer the Vampire Slayer. Also, uh, Mia Elizabeth Winstead's in that. I think, uh, what's the phrase from from Arrow, I think, was in it as well. I could be wrong. Well, hot damn, you had me at Mary Elizabeth Winstead. And I no, know... watch the original. The original's much better. <laughs> this, uh, it's terrible. I, <laughs> I, I can watch both if it's streaming. I'm not going to seek it out, but if it's streaming, mm-hmm. you know. Matt's been lured down my eye candy. I, you know, I am a up oh, up. Oh, the original's on Peacock, and the oh. the other remake's not available. Uh, so maybe it's doing me a favor. <laughs> Fate stepped uh, in. <laughs> by the way, I uh, watched the Nightmare on Elm Street remake this week. And, uh, <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Um, I did not realize that it would make me go. This needs more Katie Cassidy. Never thought I'd say that, but yet that's here, that's here a- we were. That's a nightmarish thing to say. Yeah, right. Uh, There's not, not even anybody yelling bloodlust. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, that 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 movie's just. There there's some elements that I I appreciated them trying, but it just wasn't like. If you, if you don't have Robert England as Freddy, you're not doing it. You know, that's just where we're at. I rewatched Freddy v Jason also this week, and that movie gets better each time you watch it. <laughs> it's just it's just it's the movie equivalent of candy like like i shouldn't eat this whole bag of jumbo size m&ms but i'm gonna do it uh as i you know so but yeah the <laughs> the, the nightmare remake not, not so good no it's pretty dire it's pretty dire it's, it's one of the it's one of the worst of the remakes I, of that era yeah, I, had a, I had a small conversation with a friend that like i much rather watch as much as i dislike it Rob Zombie's Halloween again, because at least, you know, he cares about the character of Michael Myers. Uh, even if we don't, he doesn't understand the character of Michael Myers. No, but you could tell that he cares because he's trying something more than Sam Bayer did with anything in Nightmare. Like uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween yeah. upsets me way more than the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. The Nightmare on Elm Street remake is just really bad and boring. Yeah, well, you're. I mean, Halloween's your your franchise, so like, I, I get. I get it upsetting you, but from my perspective, I can at least appreciate him him trying something versus just this, you know, boring bad. Yeah, well, I've only had one day to watch horror movies. I should have watched at least a few more by next week. So I'll I'll, I'll keep everyone yeah. appraised of the weird oddities that I'm. Because I'm trying to watch movies. I, I mean, I'll, I'm sure I'll see a few that I've seen before, but generally uh-huh. speaking, in October I like to try and find weirder but stuff. But you're and- at this point that I, I won't reach for a very long time where like you've seen all of the good classic stuff. So there's, you really have to sift through. You're like a, a prospector that that's hit the vein. <laughs> and now you're just looking for gold dust. 
You know, you and Tim both. Like, I saw Tim put a stack of of movies he picked up, and mm-hmm. I didn't recognize any of them. It was a, it was a, this is all stuff that he bought. I'd say I knew about two thirds of them, and I've seen about yeah. a third of them. That, that was that was probably okay. what I'd say I yeah. knew of that stack. So, so yeah, so it's a lot harder for for you to find this stuff. That said, you did watch *Malignant*, and uh, I did. We reviewed it on *Screams After Midnight*, which came yeah, back yesterday. Yeah. Just, just a, just a real quick um, one-word reaction. One word. Yeah. Oh, one word's tough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess that's the rea- That's the reaction right there. One word. Yeah, that's tough. <laughs> I feel like uh, I need at least a sentence to uh, emphasize that. Yeah. Worth seeing for the crazy final 20 minutes, yeah. but very, 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 very boring before that. Yeah. It's, as, as I told a friend, you won't be sorry you watched it, but you're definitely going to be like, what the hell did I watch? Uh, yes. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very rare that I've seen a horror movie before you did. That's why I, I was shaking a little bit, you know? I was because I, 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 you know, I was waiting until we were going to review it, yeah. so I, I didn't rush out. Because there's very few movies that I want to watch a second time that quickly after I've seen it the first time. Yeah. Uh, and especially when it's movies for Screams or Sacred Hockey Mask, yeah. because most new horror movies, you know, a lot of them suck. <laughs> Never mind. And even the good ones, I don't necessarily want to rewatch a good movie right away. Like a, a movie has to be really special for me to want to rewatch it immediately. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I'll I'll wait until it's reviewed times. Unless I'm just that excited about something that I have to see it right away. Right. Uh, but mm. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, wasn't wasn't quite that. Uh, <laughs> so hey, uh, this is a DC Comics podcast. Believe it or not, uh, yeah, I I yeah, imagine tell. horror movie tangent to start things off is probably going to be a consistent feature for the next four weeks. Uh, mm. I suspect, but. Uh, Oh yes, this is a DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about the books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Detective Comics 1043, Action Comics 1035, Superman Son of Kal-El, Issue 3, Justice League 68, Checkmate Issue 4, and what I like to call the Matt Talks Bendis portion of the show. It's gonna it's gonna go well with a, a, a little, you know, you know like when you go to a restaurant and they give you garlic bread, mm-hmm. and that garlic bread's better than the meal sometimes? That's what Ram B is for, for Justice League <laughs> and Checkmate Sandwich, you know. Mm. Uh, we also have Robin Issue 6, Deathstroke King Issue 1 is a, a new book to check out. And then I've got a couple of Patreon books of September to, to sort of squeeze back in and catch up on. Uh, and that is American Vampire Survival of the Fittest Issue 2 and Animal Man Issue 12. So that is what's coming up uh, on today's show. But do not fear, everyone. I have not forgotten. There's always time for the Comixology Top 10 to get things moving on the show. Uh, so that's what we'll start with. Uh, not an amazing week for DC as far as Comixology sales as of Saturday afternoon this mm-hmm. week. But hey, uh, Marvel did take the top spot with Inferno issue one, which is issue one of four. It's an X-Men book. Uh, wow, they're running that back, huh? I, I guess, yeah. Uh, I've done a new Inferno thing. Uh, uh, and I don't really know anything about it. I just know there was, that there was a story arc called Inferno from, like, the 90s. Yeah. Well, something about Hell coming to Earth, and I know Kitty Pride was a big part of it. Uh, but, yeah. Yeah. Wait, that's not, that's not coming up on here. 
I'm looking at League of Comic Geeks and I don't see. Oh, there it is. <laughs> uh, Weird. I mean, it's, and keep in mind, it's always possible that just because it's on the the charts this week doesn't mean it came out this week. Sometimes things will just sell. No, good true. For for but, more than one week. This one did. Yeah. This came out this week. Um, I'm, I'm seeing if this is a Dugan. No, it's Hickman. Okay, well, tells me all I need to know. <laughs> the culmination of Hickman's X Men begins here. So I guess it's not really Inferno, but it is wrapping up his kind of X Men sideways. You know. Whatever he's been doing. Yeah, and then number two is Die Issue 20. I'm sure Connor's, like, smiling somewhere. Uh, he feels it in his bones that his beloved mm-hmm. book is doing well, and it's now over. It's the big climatic issue. Uh, issue three is Amazing Spider-Man, Issue 74. Uh, issue number wow. four is Sword, Issue 8. And then number five is Star Wars, Issue 17. So that's... Uh, Four Marvel and an Image book in the top five there. Uh, so, hence- so Image makes sense. Inferno being the big event makes sense. Um, yeah, Star Wars a little bit, but weird that Sword's so high. I, I don't know. People are into it. Uh, uh, number six is, is Detective Comics. Uh, number seven is Justice League. Number eight is Thor 17. Uh, number nine is Superman Son of Kal-El. Number 10 is Wolverine. And then just missing the top 10 is Action Comics, Robin, and Superman 78 all right after that. So, uh, I mean, it's not like completely dire, but uh, definitely a more Marvel-dominated top 10 this week. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's it's kind of weird to me. Now, obviously, Batman's quite good right now anyway, so it's not really that much of a complaint. But it does kind of feel that Batman always outsells Detective just because it's called Batman. <laughs> it's like some people just buy it because of the yeah. name. <laughs> it's weird. Right. I just that's weird. I don't, I don't, I, yeah, I, I mean, I Batman's mid, so you know, I'll take I'll take tech every day. You're just saying that because I used that against something you said. Yeah, and it, and, it, and it worked, and then you got me back when I had no response. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you know. Well, uh, that's covered all the top ten, nice and nice and quick. It's not, it's not it's not painful. This isn't the last week where there was such a tangent that was brought on uh, between you and well, Connor that yeah. the, the time between numbers eight and nine was like twenty five minutes. Yeah, well, you know, we we have that uh, ability. Mm. Uh, no news this week, really. Uh, not, certainly nothing. The only, the only thing of note I would say is that uh, there's some advertising interviews going on for the uh, the new Tom King book. Uh, you know the mm-hmm. what do you call it? Human target, target. Uh, yeah. saying it's going to be a twelve issue who done it. So, sounds like fun. I'm, I'm there. I mean, we just read a, a kind of a twelve issue who done it from from King, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I expect this will be a much later and toned book yeah. versus uh, <laughs> Russia. Tom King goes, uh huh, sure. <laughs> I do light work. <laughs> I mean, it'll it'll appear light, and then it'll. I don't. I don't make you question your beliefs uh, while reading my comics at all. Uh, <laughs> at least, you know, this is what I like that he has found his niche and these 12 issue maxi series are almost like novels, right? Like he, he, he has a point of view. It's going to run through. Um, and, and to me, I feel it fits his style better than the monthly. I don't want to call it a slog, but you know what I mean? Okay. Okay. 
Uh, I mean, no, it's just been working for him. We've been saying this basically ever since he just sort of switched to doing these types of books. Yeah. Um. So, no, it's cool. And it's, it does feel like a, 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 this is kind of exciting. But once we get halfway through Human Target, we're probably going to expect another announcement of whatever the next mm-hmm. thing is. Because it seems to have about, you know, three overlapping at any one time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, given that Human Target is kind of replacing both Rorschach and Strange Adventures, you imagine that something will replace Supergirl at some point, mm-hmm. uh, you know, before Human Target's done. So. Well, and that cat's about half over too. Yeah. So. It, well, it's kind of weird though, because I feel like that, uh, it was just delayed. So I mean, I feel like he wrote that probably ages ago. Uh, oh, probably, but I'm saying you know, half out. He pretty, pretty, he probably wrote all of that before he even started working on uh, Supergirl, Supergirl or yeah. uh, maybe even Strange Adventures. He may have just done it all already, like like <laughs> over a year ago. Uh, yeah, maybe. But all right, that's the the book side. Uh, only to dilly dally this week. So, Detective Comics one thousand forty three, Mariko Tamaki writing with Dan Mora back on the art. Uh, obviously Bogdanovich was uh, the alternative uh, and this is a start of a three part Fear State tie in which revolves heavily around Mir and the Cano. Uh so this is kind of set around everything going on uh, some of this is set a little bit before things go down and we start off the book with a pair of uh, drivers who actually work for the magistrate but they don't work they're not like soldiers or anything they, they work for the sanitation yeah. services yeah, but- <laughs> they're like contractors, like they're, you know, they're driving around their van. Basically, one of them tells a story at the other one about ants and fungus and the fungus growing out of the ant's head. Uh, and all, all I could yep. think was, okay, so as we read this story, there's going to be a character, who, you know, that, that this ant represents and like this is clearly going to, this is a thematic setup for whatever this well, arc is. Yeah, but I also read it as this is also how Fear State works. Right, it's also their perspective on, you know, that it infects one thing, and then that thing goes all the way to the top, just to rain back down, you know. So I thought it also fit into the narrative that's going on there, with yeah. the magistrate and the scarecrow. I feel like it's probably related to Nakano himself. Uh, he's trying to do mm-hmm. all this stuff, you know, getting too close to the sun, but then he's going to fall, and just sort of become part of the problem when he hits the well, ground effectively. He- he really, uh, last page reveal, really, really hits the ground into some muck. <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah, so once it actually gets going proper, though, uh, we have Simon Saint and Amir Nakano having a meeting. And, you know, things aren't as hunky-dory between them as maybe, mm-hmm. like, we've assumed in the past. There's, there's a lot of hesitation about letting the, the magistrate program kind of take control. Uh, and Nakano's actually still, you know, still doubting things, sees that Saint's made some mistakes... Uh, and it's a, it's a, you know, it's a bit more touch and go than originally um, perceived. Have you noticed this over as Fair State, Fair State gets going and Scarecrow is more of the central figure that the all the creatives are kind of making Saint look a lot more sniveling and like less sure. A lot more like desperate. When we first met him, a lot more desperate for sure. Yeah, like he's and and you know we we've seen him wet himself and batman and in here he's kind of a, a stumbling on his words to nakano and not quite sure of himself as, as he was as his plans not going and I, I like that character piece i also feel that this issue might have tried to like make his sympathize with nakano and see him as not a because you know he's been such an antagonist to a lot of our main characters that just have something as simple as him having this conversation with his wife presumably on the phone where <laughs> 
like she's like hey you're putting all this on you he's clearly stressed he's trying to make the right choices um i mean obviously it's trying to build sympathy because he's going to be in jeopardy for the rest of the issue and presumably the whole arc but right it definitely feels like this is the most humanizing of nakano we've had up until this point you know mind you i wasn't familiar with nakano until tamaki when i started reading tech again however i i've never felt that like the antagonism was anything more than you know the typical gotham antagonism with batman right like he's he's doing the job of the cops and that's not good for us you know um so i felt like with fear state they're kind of leaning on him a little bit more antagonistic so i like this regression back to you know he's just trying to do what's best for the city I think I think it makes him slightly more three dimensional because before he was very much like a plot obstacle for yeah. Batman and some of the other characters. Um, he was a reason that was sort of going to lead to Simon Saint getting into some power and getting these magistrate program mm-hmm. going. This is clearly making an effort to try and give him a bit more of a character, and we see him kind of survive on his own because this you know, this gunman comes to his his office and starts shooting at him. Um. And we see that he's able to dive behind his desk, he pulls a gun out, he tries to fight back, he jumps through the window. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. The, the, the book does a really good job here of like sort of building the chaos where all the security are kind of going frantically. What the hell's going on? Mm-hmm. Who's shooting shots in the in the mayor's office? And they're all scrambling, but there's a team of guards who are actually there with the shooter to kidnap Nakano. Uh, Batman shows up, though. A great two-page spread in the yep. rain of him uh, smashing down one of the guys. But they still get away with Nakano. Batman... You have chase. Uh, a lot of this issue is this chase sequence. You got Batman on the bike. Uh, you're using his grapple gun to completely flip over the van that's taking the cano. Uh, lots of gunshots, all this stuff. Saints freaking out because like his security's outside the building. And this still happens, so it's making him look like a fool. All this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, very delightful. But it, you know, between some explosions, between. Uh, yeah, I think it's the bad guy who was kidnapping the canal has a grenade. Uh, they end up going down, and then we know that the sewer system or the subway system is flooded right now. The old tunnels are flooded. Right. But they actually go beyond that into even more tunnels, and the canal even has kind of a meta line where he's like, how many tunnels can the city have? Uh, <laughs> it's a goddamn labyrinth. So he's down there with his phone, and Batman are both kind of like stumbling around uh, looking for each other. Um and batman is trying to like talk to oracle and whoever else but like he's not really getting through to anyone um but the end of the issue is that nakano runs in to uh some what would you call this like they're like they're like egg bundles or yeah like egg sacs or uh I was trying to think is this larva is this this you wouldn't use larva i I mean they they could be i mean but if, if we're comparing them to insects, there's a, a, a pupil stage. Um, you have an egg, pupa, larva, and then fully grown. So this still seems like they're in the that that you know yeah phase. So, but uh, yeah, I, I was not ready to see the vile thread line come back so soon. Yeah, this feels connected to that, and it also feels like. Um... And even if it isn't, it's still kind of keeping the vibe that like at least some of uh, uh, Tamaki's detective mm-hmm. run is, is, is kind of monster themed. And we're going mm-hmm. to have Batman and the Canal like, trapped in these dark tunnels with monsters. Like it seems, There's definitely fun to be had here. Now, admittedly, from a, from a you know shared universe perspective, how do we justify whatever 
this is going to be like of Batman stuck in tunnels when Fear State is supposed to be going on, given all the stuff he's doing in Batman. Let's not try and think yeah. about it. Let's just just mm-hmm. go with it. Just roll with it. <laughs> I, I always call that the Wolverine corollary of continuity. Mm. It, at one point, Wolverine was featured in like eight books. And if you're trying to piece together how he was being three X books, two Avengers, and uh, his own solo series, you're just going to drive yourself insane. So you yeah, it's not possible. It. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and that's the end of the main story. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's mostly the. the well, once you once you hit the. Uh, the, the shooter it's just one big action sequence to the end basically yeah and and this group that tried to kill nakano said that uh that the guy there said his name is nero 19 mm. um so it seems like it's uh, another either like a criminal group that's getting together you know under the nose of the magistrate or you know yeah and i, I try to find any significance to that and i i can't like it made me think of Maxi Zeus, right? Who was a Batman character that yeah, uh, that was Greek, not Roman. P- part of me was wondering uh, though if, if this is like kind of a red herring, and this is all just like I mean, this could just be Scarecrow trying to drum up more fear by hiring a team to kill the mayor mm-hmm. because that would just send the city into even be. more chaos. Like the mayor's been assassinated, right. that would be a pretty big like oh like <laughs> yeah chaos things are happening. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, main story is good. Uh, yeah, it's it's very tight. I mean, I, I like the sense of uh, like frantic chaos that happens when 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 everything starts going down. The basic the security and saints start panicking. It's like, wait, how did this happen? How is this possible? You really feel the urgency in the moment because uh, I think Tamaki's really good at giving that sense. Obviously, the art helps out a lot as well. But uh, the pacing and how it jumps around the characters really sells the idea of like this sort of shock occurrence happening. Um, and. On the background side of the coloring, too, a lot of the first half of the book is very red until they get into the sewers and the grenade goes off, mm-hmm. and then it cools down to blues and stuff. And I thought that was a nice creative choice because it makes everything seem that much more chaotic um, and full of danger. So it's a nice nice little touch for the storytelling. Yeah. Uh, and I think, obviously, I mean, how much this, this continues throughout the arc is questionable, but... It's humanizing the canal a little bit more and giving him a bit more of a, a protagonist role in this, mm-hmm. this story uh, is a fantastic addition uh, for the other Batman books. Well, at least the main book anyway. Like All of a sudden, like if you're reading that and the canal pops up now, you have an extra you know, layer to him, an extra facet mm-hmm. that, that, that feels informed by what you've read in this. So uh, they're complementing, complementing each other quite well right now. So uh, what are you giving the, uh, the main story? Uh, I'm gonna give this one an eight. I I thoroughly enjoy. Yeah, Detective. I'll give it an eight as well. Um, it, uh, you know, it could be higher, but you know, it's it's, it's such a straight action sequence that I don't know if yeah. it can go any higher than that. But it, it's really yeah. Well done. I read I read this one quick. Like I got I got through it and I was like, oh man, it's already done. Yeah. Like a lot of, a lot of fun action. Yeah. Oh, I'm hitting things. Uh, the backup <laughs> is the final part of the World War Z. Uh, so not World War I'm going to have to sorry. go back through my issues of Detective and read all these now. Yeah, sorry. So I said World War Z, a task force Z. <laughs> yes. I, I, I get what you mean. Uh, I think we all did. Yeah, so uh, and I've been enjoying this. This, 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 you know, this little backup series has is, is convinced me that I do need to check out this book. But this was kind of the final part of it. Uh, Deb Donovan uh, freaking out. Batman's there now. Uh, gets her at harm's way. Red Hood's still beating up. The, the guys responsible for all this you know stealing bodies malarkey whoever this is 
the big twist is though is that after they subdue uh red hood uh, the guy takes off his mask and he's got an FBI badge. So this is like official. This is, you know, government bodies doing this shit. Mm-hmm. Um, the story goes out. They, they tease whoever the mysterious guy is behind running this. They, you know, whatever, he's talking to Nicano and Nicano's pissed that, oh, I, you know, I helped you approve all this like shady stuff. This is making me look bad with this news article going out. Um, but the real point of this, though, is that Red Hood, you know, he's, he's in what feels like a sort of an interrogation style room. But it turns out this isn't... He's not there to be interrogated or tortured. It's a job interview. Uh, and he's like, well, what the hell? What's the job? And the final page is a, ta- a Task Force Z behind them. you got Man Bat, Bane, uh, and co. And obviously there's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek humour here because it says, I'm putting together a team and they're dying to meet you. <laughs> so uh, It seems like Rosenberg... Cause I-, I saw that as I was flipping through. Yeah. Seems like Rosenberg's having a lot of fun over at DC. It does, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't deny this has actually been a really fun setup for this this book. Uh, Derek Robertson did the art. I think is mostly actually. I think Red Hood looks a bit weird in the last couple of pages. I think his face feels a bit odd, but mm-hmm. uh, for the most part, when they've all got their masks on, uh, I think the art's pretty pulpy and pretty fun. It feels a little bit old school. The heavy inks give it kind of a I don't know, a nineties vibe to me. Um but yeah, I'm 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 totally down to try this. I, I think this has been a fantastic example of a, a backup kind of being a prologue to another new series, and it's good enough that it's made me No, admittedly, it was Matthew Rosenberg who's going to do the series, so I probably would have given it a chance anyway. But this right. actually made me kinda of like, oh, this is actually kinda of fun and uh, I kinda of hate how many things with Red Hood in it I'm enjoying these days. Uh that's it feels against my like I've I've just soul. given up on it um, <laughs> and just be like he's he's fine now you know like it's okay it's okay you, you can still hate Guy Gardner Pete like oh good good yes yeah. Guy Gardner uh, sucks yeah. with an X that's S U X there you go you you're entitled to your opinion yes uh but like but yeah it just I almost feel like these these because you have think Rosenberg and Williamson, all these characters, all these guys that are doing stuff with the Red Hood character, um, and and even Tom Taylor, they're all within our generation. That's almost like they took a mission to go, how can we make Jason Todd suck less? <laughs> and, and now they're just going for it. So, you know. There's some sort of uh, Jason Todd improvement agenda going on, and I don't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> I don't like it. Stop uh, it. <laughs> But yes, uh, now nah, backups, uh, you know, if you, I don't know, I, I hate rating backups on their own. It feels weird because, uh, you know, it's just like, I think I want to give this an eight as well, but it feels weird to like, because I wouldn't say it's up to the standard of the main story, but at the same time, it's only a part of a story, is it? Mm-hmm. But it left me wanting to read the the new book. So I, whatever, like just, that's my rating. <laughs> gotcha. So actually comics 1035, Philip K. Johnson and Daniel Sempier. Um, obviously this has been good stuff this is kind of the the final issue before we actually start the War World saga mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of exciting and we've been looking forward to this for some time uh, last issue uh, of course we had all of the really dark stuff that pushed uh, Thou La over the edge into actual at- at- attack 
Uh, Superman starts the issue with sort of intervening as all this is going down. Supergirl and John are there as well. Um, and, you know, it really sells this idea that, you know, Lois really is, like, saying, no, don't hurt her. Like, it's not her fault. Like, they've pushed her to this. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a great moment where she's got, like, a communicator device. Superman, in classic Superman fashion, convinces her to believe in herself that they can go back to War World and stop yeah. this. And I think what I like the most about this, other than just that classic Superman thing of convincing someone to believe in themselves, because that's mm-hmm. very traditional Superman, is I like that this comic book did a really good fake out here, where I actually thought she was about to die because of the way she says, you know, promise me that you'll go and save them, because it looks like uh-huh. this this box is going to kill her, right? This this device is going to kill her, right? And it did. It actually genuinely sold me on this thing that. This was going to be the final nail of motivation for Superman to say, no, I have to go. I have to leave Earth. This this woman died. I have to go and save everyone else. This, this, you know, this is too important now. Mm-hmm. But she actually did survive because Superman, you know, swoops in and sort of like basically with withstands a lot of the pain for her, like grabs it right. and takes takes the pain on. Uh, so, which again is very Superman and selfless and heroic and all those things. And uh, it was a big moment. It was a fist pumping moment. Uh, but it does lead to this great thing where it's a communication thing and, you know, Mongol and Cole were talking to her through it and Superman then appears to Mongol uh, on Warworld uh, via, like, a sort of hologram-style thing and Mongol's all, do you know who you stand before? And Superman says, when this is all over, only one of us will be standing. Uh, so good! And he visions the device, which obviously makes the hologram go away, but notably, then one of them says... It is done, and Mongol smiles. This is all going according to plan. Yeah, yeah. They they want him there. Like mm-hmm. he's been drawn in, and it just it kind of goes into uh, Johnson's whole point that Superman's a symbol, and if you want to defeat something, you you crush that symbol, and that goes into you know the future state stuff that we read from him. You know that takes place in the future, and just this, this definitely feels like what leads to that, and. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that I, whole sequence. I think what's in- interesting, though, or what was a good thing about this book is that every character after this all know this is a trap. Every single person, mm-hmm. Lois, John, everyone, they all say this is a trap. <laughs> He's like, I know it's a trap, yeah. but I still have to go. It doesn't change the fact that I'm coming. Right. I'm going to go. I'm going to come home, uh, and that that's it. And John tries to talk him out of it, of course. Um, and maybe some of that's in this book. Some of that's in the other book because it's, it kind of happens in both books because the the good big goodbye is also yeah. in Superman uh, Son of Kal-El but mm-hmm. um, the Justice League are like we should probably be going with you but there's too many things going on uh, also you're kind of out the team for a bit <laughs> because of that shit you pulled with intervening last issue yeah uh, so and it's like yeah that, this does feel like a sort of thing where maybe the whole league should go to War World and save all these people who have been enslaved um but we get a classic Superman-Batman moment where the League leave, but Batman doesn't. And it's kind of like the opposite of him batman out of a scene because he's, he's sort of Batman... He Batman remains in a scene, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Yeah. Everyone else leaves and he stays. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. stealthily, if such a thing is even mm-hmm. possible. Uh, and you know, just basically ask where the fragment is uh, and Superman's got it hidden. It's, it's shielded. No one can sort of pick up where it is. Uh, and this is the one thing that kind of ties into the fact that uh, the Authority are going to be going on this trip with them. Um, I'm not sure how important actually having read Superman the Authority is going to be to I'm this. I'm telling you, 
I don't think they are. And I think that I think that Johnson took it upon himself to put him together an expendable team. Ah, uh, you know? yeah, it's okay. That if something happens to one or two of them, that I think it's okay based off of, you know, whatever Morrison did. Because again, I still feel like that Morrison book was a future state. And so here's more of that kind of future state stuff, kind of like the magistrate and all that coming back around to what's going on now. Because um, there's even a, a newer character. You have Mongal when, when you get to see the team put together. Um, yeah, but there's a bit of uh, Superman and John saying goodbye, uh, which is it's funny because it kind of happens in both books <laughs> in a yeah. weird way, but they're, they're, they're different scenes. Th- this one hit me, and it was you know the the hug there that always always come back, and and regardless of if that's true or not, it's it's just a good you know a Superman and something Clark would say, but. Before that, uh, when when John gets mad and he goes, "If Damien's creepy dad asked me to join the league after kicking you out, I'm gonna punch him in his stupid head," right? And I like that. And and Clark's just like, "You don't have to join. Do do whatever you want, right?" And he's just aggravated. He goes, "Ugh, that guy." And I was like, "John, that's how I feel most months reading Batman. All right, it's it's perfectly normal, you know." Matt loves reading so, Batman. He loves reading Detective. He likes to. Yeah, he- I love reading Detective. Batman's been fine, but. I just thought that was funny that John, of course, is irritated by Damien's creepy dad, which I thought, like, outside for humor's sake, I think that John wouldn't. Like, there's there is still some reverence. I feel like you have to his best friend's dad. Honestly, my favorite yeah. moment in the issue. Well, actually, maybe that's not true. My favorite moment no. is probably the moment I already talked about was the uh, yeah. the, the the fake out or death he... and the, him jumping yeah. in. But my other my other favorite moment in the issue though is actually the the page with Lois next. Uh, mm-hmm. they obviously they, they fly off into the air and they sort of start seemingly having sex in the sky before mm-hmm. go, you know going to the, back to the bed or whatever mm-hmm. but um, the moment I actually really like is that Lois is sitting and she's been, did you say goodbye to crypto did you do this did you do that uh, we should try and keep track of this and look after the Genesis thing and Superman just says you know Lois fly with me and she just gives this little smile it's just this little thing where she she's just doing the job she, she's keeping track of right. everything it's like she's it's, it's like um as a mother more so than a journalist or anything like that but in the sense that she's sort of making sure she's keeping track of every all the moving parts uh the kid the dog uh the, you know everything and he's well, just and like the story points right right too. and he's just saying stop let's go and have a moment because i'm about to leave we have to like share something together here uh and obviously all those pages afterwards are all really nice and um mm-hmm. uh it's all very neat uh and romantic and beautiful and all the rest of it uh and you know he, he kisses on the forehead uh later that night um mm-hmm. and then we see him with the team uh we see him with the team mm-hmm. uh who i recognize about half of <laughs> so you got you got natasha mm-hmm. iron steel right you got apollo and midnighter you got mongal enchantress manchester black and then i forget the new name oh it's light ray um Oh, late Ray, the, that's what it is, okay. Yeah, it's it's the speedster character. Um I'll be honest, I didn't from, re- from the last issue. Yeah, I have to admit I didn't recognize that was Mongal just because Yeah. Only reason is because of Suicide Squad. Mm. Right? Like she had a moment in, in guns. So that that's why. Um I don't know her origin or anything, but I, I feel like it's fitting that a Mongol inspired person or even if she's from there. Yeah, going back to War World is is a nice touch for for this story. Yeah, they teleport away, and it just says next the War World saga. 
And what's so exciting about is that is that it does kind of feel like one day there's going to be a giant like hardcover mm-hmm. called the War World Saga for however many issues this is going to yeah. it may even be an omnibus. I don't know how long this I is just, going to last, but you know, my my I always say this, and it's kind of controversial to other Superman fans, but like one of my all-time favorite moments is from For the Man Who Has Everything, uh, where you know they they wake up Superman from the Black Mercy and Mongols there, and he just says Mongol burn, you know, because he's ripped away this perfect life and you know, made Superman really feel like, like all this stuff. And he's just not happy. And I feel that's the vibe here now that the whole, like now setup is Mongol burn. Um, and I just, I feel that it's nice that Johnson can kind of tie that in, um, here Hmm. that he's, he's taking it to him instead of Superman being that reactive hero. It almost feels like he's being proactive, even though we, he knows it's a trap and, He's like it has to be dealt with, um, and he's put together this this ragtag group to to go to War World. I think and... the book's done a good job of convincing me why he's making this choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, between finding possible Kryptonian like relatives, well, not relatives, you know, not, not family relatives, mm-hmm. but you know what I mean, like yeah, uh, spe- other Kryptonians, yeah, basically, other Kryptonians. Like, even if they were a colony, yeah, yeah. like but fi- finding other Kryptonians who have been in this situation. Uh, learning more about this a bit more because I think the last issue I think the last issue of this book was probably mm-hmm. the standout issue of it's not the standout issue of Johnson's run because that first mm-hmm. issue didn't feature state is still like the pinnacle of everything yeah. he's done but mm-hmm. that that last issue right then it's not to put this because this one's a solid great issue but last mm-hmm. issue sold the darkness and the veilness of what mongol has people do mm-hmm. it was so like sinister the way it turned thaula into doing what she was doing where she felt she right. had to do this or, or her loved ones would die killing the other two in fact there's a scene in this issue where they're standing they've made graves for the two thalosians who died who never even woke up and superman right. says i'm going to find people who knew their names and knew their history and we can write their story down, and it'll be forget. It'll you know it'll be remembered. It won't be forgotten. And it just, it, but it does have this air, and it reminded me of how good that last issue was because it was genuinely quite shocking the way they just kind of killed yeah. these characters off. Um, I also just had the realization that I, I know you weren't big on the whole Knights of the Round Table, future, you know House of L stuff, but mm-hmm. I feel like this this keeping Foul Law on Earth to heal and stuff kind of pinpoints that too about now like there's going to be multiple branches of the house of l it's not just john and kara like now you have somebody else um mm. because we know that on you know where she's from they wear the sigil on their skin as like a you know as a point of hope and as a symbol for freedom and, you know and now i just realized with her staying back you know and him going to war world and stuff that that, that that's another piece of that story coming into place which yeah. is really cool and he's he's doing such a good job it's funny because it's the uh all the stuff with Warworld actually feels like the one thing from future state that may actually just act you know happen because right the actual Warworld stuff doesn't necessarily feel like it was that far in the future and no. all the stuff in the far far future with like the descendants mm-hmm. is like well this is just so this is basically superman's own legion uh style story yeah. where it's that far in the future but it doesn't matter that it's like you know it doesn't it no doesn't... but i just i i do like that that is a piece that's in place now that he's he's kind of breadcrumbed there 
Oh yeah, no, yeah, but what I'm saying is though is that that can happen, and it's just oh, right. it's just a distant future that is you know mm -hmm. that's where he's saying the story's going to go eventually, but right. it's never going to affect the the current present day stuff. No, not so... like the War World where it feels like that. Despite that piece in the future having you know Smallville be this mecca, you know of Superman people, you know outside of that, this feels very much that just feels like a, a chapter. Yeah, or a prologue. Whereas, like you know, the Gotham stuff from fu uh, from Future mm -hmm. State it feels more like oh, this was a possible future, but it does, it you know it feels like it by the end of Fear State, like they'll stop that future from happening. Right. That's what it feels like anyway to me. Right. So. No, definitely. Uh, so I think that's a key difference, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um. So. No. No, really, really good issue. Uh, art is is, is solid throughout. I think. It's um. There's some really yeah. big moments, like I say, like uh, Lois and Clark flying and and kissing uh i mean that small moment i like where he basically just tells it to shut up let's go fly and have a romantic moment yeah. stop worrying about things and let's go do this what but think about how many words i just used to describe that moment but in the scene all it is is lois come fly and her smile it's what they are it's one line and then the smile and that, that tells you all so mm -hmm. really good stuff um all right what are you uh giving action comics uh i mean it's a nine uh, I'll go eight point five. I'll say that the the shadow of that X, you know, the even more amazing last issue, lingers over a little bit, but it's very very good. Uh, I'm I'm really excited for Warworld Saga. Uh, so cool. Mm -hmm. All right, Superman, Son of Kal El, issue three. Tom Taylor writing and John Timms on the art. Uh, there's some more goodbye stuff in this, but of course it's a bit more John focused as you'd expect given the premise. Mm -hmm. uh, and also John does hard time. Yeah, forty five minutes Which, a hard time, but hard time all the same. That that is the most Tom Taylor line <laughs> in this entire. That cracked me right? up. <laughs> Just because it does have that humor still for as serious as John is, in that you know he's very sincere about wanting to fix the world and the problems, yes. but him going down and he did hard time. It was. For 45 minutes very very delightful um <laughs> yes. so the we got actually the start where superman and john are saving a building that's falling down in coast city uh simple stuff but and it basically it's like this is weird it was like an earthquake but it was like a pinpoint earthquake that only affected mm -hmm. this little place that might mean there's something super heroic or a meta human or something and sure enough they find a character named flatline or sorry Faultline. uh flatline's flat in a uh, robin that's why i've been yeah, that yeah. Faultline. one her later but Fallen is kind of confused though. She's not like being all maniacal and saying, "Aha, I will destroy the city." She's actually, she's she has amnesia. She doesn't know who she is. She's sort of standing there, just being being kind of confused. Uh, and it turns out that if she takes a step, it causes a mini earthquake. Right? They can feel tremors, and when Superman and John pick her up, her density is so extreme. It's, you know, it's like she's really heavy to to them. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what does John describe it as? Her body density is off the charts. It's like she bonded with a fraction of a neutron star. Yeah. Um. It's like, okay, so clearly this is you know someone in trouble, but she's very dangerous to everyone around it, her. Yeah, very reminiscent of the wildfire guy from the last issue. Yeah, which obviously John says this, this is not the first time I've recently that I've encountered someone like this who has an accidental power who doesn't know what they're doing. Um. So you know, it sets up some plot stuff, but. It brings us back to uh, Jay, who was a character who was introduced last issue, mm -hmm. this activist that John kind of befriended at the college. And there's protesting because apparently the US government 
has agreed to send back the refugees that John saved from, uh, was it Gamorum? Is the, Gamora. Gamorum, yeah. sorry. Yep. Was it that at the end? Well, that's, that's yeah, but the island is Gamora. But yeah, oh, you're Gamora right, yeah, sure. You're yeah. right. Uh, so Gamora uh, wants them back, and there's a protest happening. John decides uh, to, he sort of, he helps a couple of the protesters because the police are starting to bring out their sticks and whatnot. And he says, well, I'm gathering with them, um, so arrest me if you must. And sure enough, they put on the cuffs. Uh, John lets himself be arrested. It's obviously a big statement. Uh, Cat Grant shows up to, <laughs> to interview. And Matt is dealing with dogs or something. It's serious business going on. Uh, and yeah, so Superman comes to get him out of, uh, out of jail. Uh, Jay was also going to do the same thing, which leads to Superman being introduced to John's friend and invites mm-hmm. him for dinner in Smallville. So they fly off with John's new friend, um, and this is, and it is in Smallville, so it's with the Kents. Yeah. Uh, Lois is waiting there as well, uh, and some nice humor here. Jay freaks out by meeting Lois. I mean, obviously he was starstruck with Superman, but he's especially starstruck with Lois. Yeah. This is this is a guy who runs something called the Truth, right? Like, of course, <laughs> of course, he's gonna be excited to meet Lois. Yeah, he freaks out. Um, so, I guess the only real critique about editorial here between this and Action mm-hmm. Comics is that they have this moment here where John walks in and Superman, Lois, and the Kents are all kind of looking at him like they've all just like they're, they're about mm-hmm. to tell him some bad news, and he realizes what this is. Mm-hmm. Um. But this doesn't really sync up with how we saw it in Super or how we saw it in Action Comics. Without no, because it feels like he knows that decision is being made in Action Comics the second Superman makes it. Whereas here mm-hmm. it looks like oh no, they've made that he's made that later and he's told Lois and the Kents first. Uh, it, it feels a little bit disjointed in in that sense. It's not a huge it's just, deal. Just a tad, but I but I feel like I feel like we both get we get Taylor's take on this and then we got Johnson's take in Action. So I'm kind of okay with the disjointedness just because they hit two different emotional I think, beats. I mean, I suppose you can read it as he made the choice in, in action and then this is like him saying, okay, it's time for me to actually leave now. But mm-hmm. um, I, feel, I feel like that could have just been a, a little bit more clear. It, it kind of felt like in, in action comics, like the choice was made and it was his leaving was imminent. And partly because he right. did leave at the end of the issue. It, it was like, it, right. felt, it felt like he said he's goodbye already. Uh, but that's not to say that this is not a sweet moment um, with Superman giving him the uh, the pep talk, uh, saying he'll be back no matter what. John's still worried and thinks this is the end of his story mm-hmm. and he'll never come back because he's been from the you know to the future. Uh, so all good stuff. Um, and Superman says you've already changed the future. You've already made such a difference. Um, I'm the man of tomorrow, but you're the one who's here for after that, which I thought was a really good. You, yeah, that's the one really that got me. You're for the days after, which is a nice, you know. Yeah, again, that's a Tom Taylor point of view kind of deal. Where you know, you look at the next generation. Yeah, now really nice ending to that that scene. Um, and I, I think I'm excited actually about this. Uh, now that Superman's gone, not that his inclusion has been bad, but it's, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting now to like have the book without him and have it just truly be John, uh, on mm-hmm. his own. Um, but yeah. So, no, so, so I also like uh, John talking to Ma Kent, where you know he says, "Are you're not worried? He's my son. I'm always worried, but I stopped doubting him a long time ago." 
Like that's just one of those moments, like uh, in in Birthright, uh, where Pa Kent tells Clark, you know, you're you're my son first. Uh, I'm always gonna try to talk you out of doing what you're gonna do, but I know you're not gonna listen. You know, so go be you. Uh, this I felt was kind of similar, but it was Grandma reassuring. Yeah, uh, but then we get some plot stuff. So, uh, the president of Gamora uh, turns out. Uh, fake Luther. <laughs> fake Luther, but this is John's Luther, though. That's the point, right? We're getting. Yeah, John's but Luther. like down to the green and purple color scheme, the bald head, you know, <laughs> I just. He's, he's fake Luther. But the point is, though, is that he's actually monitoring all this. He knows that Superman's left. And now he wants to ruin John's life. So, he's actually somehow kidnapped uh, Faultline and more importantly, gotten her back. That's that's the word that she used. Mm. So, that, that she, she mm. was their instrument before. So, she's scared. She doesn't know what she's, you know, she, she doesn't, she's not doing anything malicious. She doesn't know that she's working for them. No. Um, he basically just throws her at a plane. I mean, I say he. He's he's back in Gamora, <laughs> but uh, right. uh, he, he has his lackeys throw out of a plane, social land at the Kent farm. And as as we would, you know, clearly introduced at the start of the issue that if she takes a step, it causes a mini earthquake. So she's falling from a plane on the farm, and the final page of the book is just this giant shock wave, and you know, like whatever you want to call it, this giant yeah. quake. Uh, the epicenter being right in the farm. So, uh, I really dug this ending, actually. I, I really like this idea that this villain is using people and they don't even know why they're being used or how right. they were used. Um, and then the fact that he's also trying to just completely destroy everything that John cares about and ruin his life. <laughs> it's just really, really sinister. It's like, okay, he already felt like a pretty bad villain before uh, yeah. from issue two, but this kind of made it feel like, oh no, he's a really vindictive personal villain now as well. So I, I kind of dug that. So yeah, so this character of Henry Bendix has been around for uh, been around since Wildstorm days, since like the nineties. I think you so looked this created... up. I think you looked this up yeah. last issue because I remember saying I think he's new, and then you well, said no, he's from Wildstorm. <laughs> but I didn't realize the character. I looked up Gamora as the island. Mm-hmm. But so I looked this guy up, and that. Um, Last time he appeared was in Midnight of Volume 2 by Orlando. So, you know, I think it's also cool that that Taylor is, is taking from Wildstorm instead of, you know, creating just Holy New, which he could have done, right? Yeah, he could have done. But yeah. he's, you know, he's going and finding this character. I um, wonder, uh, sometimes I wonder if, like, did Taylor like, know about this character? And he may, he may, you know, he may be a Wildstorm mm-hmm. fan for all we know. I have no idea. Right. Or is it a case of... He wanted to use a, a dictator like this in this type of story, mm-hmm. and just like maybe they've got like a group chat where he said, "Hey guys, I'm doing a story like this. I yeah. want a character that's pre-established that fits this." And then someone like Orlando, who's used them already, goes, "Oh, yeah. I've got a great idea for you. What about this Bendix guy from Wailstorm? I, I like the idea even more that it, it's Jim Lee because he's the one that created him. Oh, sh- oh yeah. I mean that makes more sense. Jim yeah, like, Jim well, Lee's like, hey, like, you know, just the guy for you. Yeah, and he's like, oh, okay. Well, when the boss offers him up, uh, I'll do it. You know, because he's still the solo publisher, right, Jim Lee? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I do genuinely think that. Obviously, sometimes 
the creators use characters and things because they do personally like it or have an attachment right. to it. But I right. do, I do think as well. Sometimes they need a certain type of character and they don't know mm-hmm. who to use, so they'll just put, out, they'll just say to their their, yeah. their colleagues, "Hey, yeah, who fits this description?" And then someone goes, no, that, "Oh, and that 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 could be too." I just, yeah. I'm used to the John Zian. Like, I know a lot of those characters that he was pulling out were from his childhood, or he just created them from whole cloth. So I just apply that to everybody, probably incorrectly. Not one's yeah, not not everyone's an encyclopedia like Jeff Johns is. Yeah, so like you know, um, but yeah, which reminds me, I gotta get back onto Star Girl. I'm gonna start working those in. Oh, the show. It was, yeah, yeah. So, but that's good. Yeah, uh, season, season two is doing some interesting yeah. stuff with Eclipse. So, so I'll get there. Uh, I have Lois, uh, Superman, and Lois to watch too. They just threw those up on Max. So, all right, all right, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, no, I think you know, that's uh, Superman, son of Kellel. Uh, solid mm-hmm. issue. I, you know, I, th- I think, uh, you know, I preferred issue two over issue one. I think issue three is probably a bit on par with issue two. Uh, mm-hmm. it's continuing these statements, this idea of, of, of John being the one to do things that Superman won't because he sees himself differently. He even has a speech at one point when he's talking to mm-hmm. Cat Grant about how. Oh, my grandfather, you know, sent my father here. He's an immigrant. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds a lot like a, what you hear in a lot of like interviews with people who are either the the, the children or grandchildren of immigrants when they're yeah, arguing if, certain topics, you know, for, for right, present day. If you're, if you're sending them to somewhere that's going to be dangerous, how dangerous are you sending them from? Yeah, is kind of the point, and it's kind of like there, there's a reason, you know, that they're they're coming here. It's not just because. So, but yeah. Yeah, that's real good. And again, it's it's Taylor adding these little pieces of real life, you know, into comics where, you know, you can have art representing real life and vice versa. And I think it fits, especially with Superman, mm. you know, and, and this new generation in John. All right. What are you giving Superman, Son of Kal-El? Uh, I'm going to give this one an eight. Yeah, yeah, I'm giving it to. I've I've been pretty close on the ratings with you this so far, but uh, I can't really argue. Uh, oh, just, I, that's I, right. You, you didn't read Justice League, so uh, well, we you know we'll break there. Oh yeah, I, I get I get to rest my voice now. Justice League sixty eight. Brian Michael Bendis writing with Scott Godlewski on the art. Take it away, man. I'll, uh, positives up front. Uh, Godlewski, mm-hmm. I like seeing him draw the Justice League. It's everything's very chunky in that early 2000s style, which I think fits the, the kind of story that Bendis is telling. So I'm glad. Um, this is just more of the, the uh, what, what are they called? The United Order, you know, trying to pressure Clark into handing over the Phantom Zone. And uh, uh, at one point, the Tamaranian tells Clark something, um, and it, it kind of sticks with them uh and and all of this and he asked him you know he goes prince zarep what is what does that mean that you told me i'm not even gonna try to say it because it's all written in a foreign thing he goes uh what would kal of earth do it's something we say on tamaran to get a little to get the littles to you know choose better so it's basically what we tell the kids what would what would kal do um and it you know it kind of continues those threads from uh from bendis's superman um, which I can't, I feel like this has just become the Bendis story mm-hmm. that's running through DC. Um, and then, you know, Naomi gets her parents out of the Tower of Fate, where, you know, Fate is upset that Constantine was left alone in there. 
Um, the Justice League wonders how they're going to fix the Hall of Justice, but Flash and Superman fix everything in super speed, which was kind of like, well, well, it, it almost made it sound like the Justice League was going to get a new uh, headquarters because they start talking about the uh, the Watchtower and all these other ones and how much of a pain it was to get up there and, and whatnot. And I think it was Ollie, or no, it was Hot Girl that's like, well, yeah, you know, I... I Kind of like the Watchtower. It was a it was a fun time, um, but all that's for nothing because then you have John or John. You have Superman and and Flash uh, end up just fixing everything uh, in super speed, and then you have Green Arrow going to help uh, Damon Rose or going to checkmate because Damon Rose is being attacked by Deathstrokes, um, and you see him in action here where he's like Nightwing good. And he's to, you know, this stuff that his sister is to journalism. And the, I'll get on this and checkmate. Just the whole idea that Bendis is trying to treat the Damon Rose character as a secret when he's already exposed him here in Justice League tells me that checkmate was supposed to come out still and nothing else has really changed. Um, oh, yeah, because checkmate was delayed for ages. Yeah, big yeah. time. But, you know, so uh, Green Arrow and, and Manhunter go to talk with checkmate and um someone goes to to blow them up ollie ends up with the you know knocking the rocket down with an arrow and it's this you know superman shows up with with them to you know because they're not part of checkmate like ollie and, and bones and manhunter are and stuff and uh you know canary's there with with superman going like hey what's going on i can't wait for introductions like you're looking around the shadows um and then you find out that it was this team of Deathstrokes uh, that that launched the armor or armor. They're, they're into the Deathstroke armor that launched the the rocket at them, and they're they're trying to see what happens. And it ends by them saying like, "All we see is a blurry Superman logo." You know, uh oh. Um, so it has some like some of that Bendis fun stuff, but like I just I don't understand the point of this book right now besides just being the Bendis story, because there's a lot of stuff going on here that just feel like he's tying up loose threads without actually doing it so yeah um but again godlewski's art's really fantastic um so i'll, I'll give this a, a 5.5 <laughs> praise and then yeah right and then uh what, what, here's there's the garlic bread if you will uh, yeah ram <laughs> v and sumit kumar on on justice league dark and you know uh, uh merlin is still fighting in atlantis and uh uh, Bobo and and Arthur are taking out these Aqua Zombies. Uh, Etrigan's there, and uh, he just goes off and takes them all out with Hellfire. Um, and then they talk about you know how Bobo's like you know sometimes it really scares me. I don't know how Jason Blood does it, locked up in that thing with a cramped body and mind. He goes, I entirely I'd go entirely mad if that ever happened to me. So that's Ram V you know, playing with the future state stuff here where, you know, Detective Chimp and was, was bonded to Etrigan. Um, but uh, he ends up talking with uh, Etrigan and talking about uh, with, with Arthur. Um, and he called the demon calls him Chimp. And he goes, no, my name is Bobo, or you can call me Detective. You know, let's let's go take care of this. Uh, and we see uh, Zatanna fighting with Merlin where she ends up uh, with with Ragman, end up like kind of taking him out, 
But by doing that, it unleashes the upside down man from Zatanna. So she ends up like losing control, getting overcome by this darkness. Because um, when they had taken out uh, Merlin, as Merlin's kind of deteriorating, he goes, you guys have already lost. She's doing all she could to hold it in. I use that stone to take the last bit of her power away. So it's almost as if like him trying to use this magic was keeping the upside down man at base still. Um, and when they took him out, it flips her upside down and Zatanna starts changing um, into that version that we saw at the end of Justice League Dark when they bonded him. Um, and it's to be continued, but it's all written upside down, which is cool. Uh, like the like the lettering, um, which is a nice touch. And it kind of, it always reminds me of the, there was a, in, in Countdown, there was a dark version of Zatanna that said words upside down to make her magic work, which was just weird. Cause like, how do you say a word upside down? Like it means it to us as readers, but as you're hearing it, it was just, it was super weird. But, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, you know, I wish this was the main course and not, not the side, you know, of it. Cause I find the stuff going on Justice League Dark infinitely more interesting. So uh, I'll, I'll give that a, a 7.5. But, but yeah, still still getting Justice League because Justice League Dark because I'm a fool, you know. Not to worry, we're not we're not done with Matt Bendis talk because check uh, me issue four Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Art again, fantastic. Like Bendis is looking looking out. Like he's he's working with Maleev, his old buddy, here. And I mean, this is some good spy stuff. So like, what's funny is they were talking in Justice League about the Watchtower. And this starts with Merlin and the Guardian um, in the Watchtower. Like, it's been left abandoned. It was one of... It's what Leviathan wanted was one of the pieces. Because uh, they want the Hall of Justice, the Batcave computer, and the Fortress of Solitude. That's what they need to get access to really free everybody, so they say. But uh, Manhunter and Green Arrow are up there waiting for them. And, and there's a fight in uh, Merlin and... Um, Merlin and Guardian get away but not before um, Green Arrow manages to get an arrow into Guardian uh, and it leaves a pool of blood um, and um, Shaw teleports them away as soon as Guardian gets hit so they don't even get you know they bring up like they were surprised that they were being teleported out so whatever they came for they didn't get to execute and you know their guess of showing up there paid off um, but this leads to Checkmate looking at the blood sample and finding out there's, um, like, what did he say? There's something else in today's sample. It's, um, they're splicing alien DNA into, into whatever they're giving the Leviathan numbers. And Bones brings up that he's seen this because it's a rejected experiment from when he was running the DEO. So there's a lot of stuff at play here. So they start wondering if, there's nanotechnology and alien DNA and that this is how Shaw is taking over these otherwise, you know, notable people, you know, like guardian, a lot of the people that were running all the other agencies. Um, and then Lois is talking with Superman um, and Malieve's just really working here because we're in the fortress and just all the lines going every which way. Like there's a lot of line work here that's taking up the background but it looks gorgeous. Um, but it's Superman talking to, to Lois and Lois is kind of like, 
She's worried because they kidnapped her, but they didn't seem to have a reason. It was almost just like to show that they could. But, um, you know, it's she's worried that she's been affected by whatever this thing is. And Superman's like, no, we, we've checked. All your vitals are fine. You seem OK. And, you know, she's like, well, what if it's something you've never seen before? He's like, well, we'll, we'll handle it. But she's still worried because there's so much, you know, mystery with her dad. And this leads to them looking at that, that like snowman that she took from her dad's houseboat, which was the snowman's ticket. She pops the head off of this plush and there is basically the, it is the certified abstract of birth. So it's Leonardo Lane's birth certificate. And so this is like supposed to be the point where we learn that Lois has a younger brother. And I just kind of wish that, you know, they had plotted this a little bit better because we've already met this character in in Justice League. Mm. And I guess this solidifies the fact that it's really her younger brother. But like, for, you know, her dad being able to keep this a secret, I guess that's the biggest mystery. And I guess that's fine, but it's just kind of how they, they handle everything. Um, and it goes back to checkmate at their their secret headquarters and they're all you know standing around talking with uh damien and damien points out you know that um everything that they need to do you know uh i'm trying to find this um basically he points out everything that that leviathan's gonna do um and that they're playing into their hands uh, which leads to them being followed and whatnot. Um, and it almost is casting, you know, because if you remember, Talia is still in play. She's like a wild card that we don't know if she's been affected by whatever, you know, when Damien had come and freed her. Um, but King Fair or King, King Faraday, the King, we still don't know who he is, gets taken out by an arrow. Um, there's an explosion and a fight, which, which leads to uh, the headquarters being um, zapped away by Sean Leviathan. And then that's where it ends. Um, much better read than, than Justice League, and we're about halfway through. I'm still not exactly sure what the point of this Checkmate book is, because, like, with Leviathan, we, we understood their, like, how they want to free everybody from the influence of, of like, secrets and, and whatnot. But here, if, if the point of everything is that they're brainwashing people with nanotechnology and alien DNA... I, I, it kind of undercuts what Shaw's doing there, where he wants to be the voice of reason, right? And that's why you would get Superman. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, what's up? It's just this kind of... Given the whole mystery of who, you know, that was already mm -hmm. spoiled in Justice League, yep. I, I do wonder if the end of this book is going to like actually set something up that is already, like, kind of... In play, and yeah, in play in Justice yeah. League. Yeah, I just thought. Uh, well, because we already, we already have hints that whoever this, whatever these Deathstrokes are in Justice League, they're likely clones. So if we're dealing with this different kind of technology, or they're making people, right, and like Leviathan's taken out by the end of this, and that leads to a void, you know, who who knows? I just, it's very very messy, and I know that's mainly a me problem because I I thrive on continuity. But even here, it's like, I'm glad we're getting this book, but it almost feels like just a a bonus chapter, if you will. 
you know, because if, if Bendis was just able to go start on his his Justice League without the stuff that happens here, without feeling the need to explain it, I don't know. Um, that said, I'm never going to be mad at a Bendis Malieve book that really plays with the shadows, because again, this this is a lot more fun to read and has a bit more substance than whatever's going on in Justice League. Yeah, I mean, I dropped both, but like. Checkmate mm-hmm. was definitely the one that was more enjoyable to actually read. Yeah. So, I mean, that, yeah. that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. So, uh, rating this, I'm going to give this a, a 7.5. That said, if Sinmar shows up in issue 5... Don't. <laughs> Don't do that. Take that back from the universe. The mystery can only lead to one man. Technically not a man. Sinmar Utopica, and I'm mad that I still know that. <laughs> uh, did you rate this, Matt? Yeah, 7.5. Okay, cool. Robin, issue 6, Joshua Wilmson writing with Gleb Melnikov on the art. And this is the the fighting begins, the tournament actually begins. Uh, and the tournament stuff is fun, although it's actually some of the other stuff that's uh, my favourite of the, of the book, yeah. bizarrely. Uh, so, yes, Damien's taking on uh, Blue Shrike, uh, mm-hmm. round one, as, as it says. Uh now, yeah, did you up. read the fight, the last fight, like in the Mortal Kombat voice? Because I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, the I, fight, I guess. Fight, fight, and then you know. Well, I don't know because because it's like a it's clearly meant to be the chant. It's meant to be the chant yeah. of the crowd. But so if it was just one fight, I probably would have heard fight. But yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's like a sort of montage, double page layout of like all the fights happening. Uh, a bunch of the uh, the you know. L- the D, F, and G listers getting their asses whipped uh, in round one. Uh, and then Damien takes on uh, Tengu in round two and wins that fight. Do you know what Tengu was making me think of, uh, unsurprisingly? Remember the Power Rangers movie when they go to the planet? Those yeah, are the birds. Yeah. yeah, that's what they're based on, though. Tengu are a yeah. Japanese, um, like, I don't want to say an evil spirit because I don't know if necessarily they're evil, but they are like these bird warrior creatures. So, yeah, so that, that's. I would just, yeah. uh, it was making me wait for Ivan Ooze to show up. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Could you imagine, though? Ivan Ooze rules. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't be opposed uh, to some Ivan Ooze. I made that connection when I was younger that that was uh, Belloc from, from Raiders of the Lost Ark. My flipping 10-year-old mind was blown. So, you know. Anyway, yeah, he... Uh, <laughs> I like how Damien straight up murders... Uh, uh, blue strike with a with a head snap, which, as as we know, what kind of led him to this tournament with with Alfred. <laughs> yeah, this is dark, right? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, him versus Tengu. I thought this was a. There's a lot, yeah, there's a lot that's, more, that's a cool lot more, design. lot more motion in this fight. There's a lot of sweeping and you know swords mm-hmm. uh, and running, uh, but Damien ultimately kicks the katana into the neck <laughs> of Tengu. Uh, so uh, he runs into Mother Soul briefly. Damien basically realizes he needs that book, uh, although that's reiterated. Uh, so, but the the part of the book that I really like, right? Because I I like the fighting. The fighting was fun, but it's ultimately just fighting. Yeah. Right. The part I really liked is that Flatline comes over and talks to Damien, and it kind of get turns into this weird bonding. Uh, she mentions all the other fights that are going on right now. Um, mentions the drenched winning a fight. XXL beats Raptor off panel. <laughs> Raptor got his very, ass whipped. Very upset about that one, just because we love Raptor and we saw how much of a badass Raptor was, right? So 
But he's put, I don't know. He's put over XXL. XXL, though, I, it was formidable because he yeah. beat Raptor that easily. Right? Uh, Ravager uh, beat someone. Uh, he said choked out a pro wrestler with his own fanny pack, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but we don't know who this character was, no. right? Like, uh, Obviously, Cutter Hawk won his fight as well. It's Johnny Fist. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's a good name. Uh, uh, Black Swans take it on somewhat. It's, uh, anyway, so it's um, it's it's the the double right, double dare. But double dare had a fight each other to get out of the first round. This shows that uh, that uh, god damn it, what's her name? You just you just said it. Black Swan. You you broke out of this uh, in the middle of that sentence, so it was oh it was, my bad. It was, it was hard nope. to. <laughs> it's hard to decide what we would try no, to say anyway. No, that's girl talking to Damien. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank on her name. Oh, Flatline, yeah. Flatline, thank you. Uh, that Flatline is, you know, showing how how um, how much she pays attention to, right? Because she realizes that Double Dare, they're they're used to fighting as a team. So solo, they don't really stand a chance, especially against Black Swan, who's too graceful. Like I, I mm-hmm. like that little moment that you know, she. She's also paying attention. Yeah, but Respawn's winning, winning their fight as well. Uh, but mm-hmm. what I really like is, so Flatline gives Damien his manga back, and it turns out one of the others tried to steal it, so she ends up like, and they end up bonding a little bit over it, uh, and we get a little bit of her backstory. She talks about how she kind of inherits the skills of whoever she, like, kills, and yep. uh, she's been kind of been mentored by Lord Deathman, which is a great name, <laughs> um, and there's a great moment here where uh, Alfred says I like this one Master Damien you know like you know and obviously it's not really Alfred it's this Damien subconscious but right. uh, the idea that he's starting to have feelings for Flatline is kind of funny to me uh, but when Ravager and Connor Hawk catch them under the bleachers and crack a joke about them having <laughs> a makeout session this is where I really started to this is my favorite part of the book because yeah. this was like Wait a minute, we're getting a little Scooby Gang squad kind of forming out of this little team, which is Damien, Flatline, Ravager, and Connor Hawk, where they, they all care more about uncovering what this tournament's about rather than actually just winning it. This, you know, right. I mean, not to say that Damien and Connor Hawk don't also want to win it, because they yeah, do. Yeah, they're, they're both competitive a holes that want to beat yes. each other. But the, the two girls are kind of like, well, there's something bigger going on here. Um, This entire scene right here remind like the scratches the itch that i missed from titans right oh sure from a titans book is that we have the young heroes interacting with each other there's a group dynamic here and i was like oh yeah williamson wrote titans for a minute like he's he's got that vibe down um i I think what's impressive about it is that it takes a flatline who's Mm -hmm. either new or at least at the very least like was you know basically an unknown quantity even if she was around um But it basically took her and sort of gave her enough character that I kind of started to take her seriously as a character in this one scene. And yeah. then, you know, you throw in the others. Damien and Ravager are already on board with. Connor Hawk's kind of the, the mysterious one who's back. Um, mm-hmm. We're getting to sort of know this new well, version. And and I love that they're each the kind of problem son of their respective fathers, right? Like, do, has Connor Hawk addressed his dad? here like or, or uh, not really not really i don't think okay so like just the fact that too that you know this is oliver queen and bruce wayne's sons at, at opposite ends of this i like that rivalry that keeps going 
Um, but no, Flatline's all... It doesn't even stop there, though, because you, ha- you have even Ravager being Deathstroke's daughter, oh, Flatline right? not being... Well, and Lord... No, but Lord Deathman is the Batman of Japan's, like, like uh, Joker. His nemesis. So, you know, so this is... Yeah, nemesis. So, like, this is, like, she's almost his Harley, if you will, or sidekick. Let's not say Harley, because there's other connotations there. But, like, yeah. Um, but no, but just looking up Flatline, this, you know, this is a williamson creation um so yeah so this was her first show up and already doing a good job at her origin it's like you know just the idea that she she's surrounded by death all the time so she sought out lord death man you know and and then he sent her here to learn from other people which i think is a great like for her being in the tournament because she absorbs people's skills when they die like yeah this is like her like in a video game, going to to level up. Yeah, what I like about the scene though is just how much I actually enjoy them all interacting. It kind of, mm-hmm. I, I, it already got me to a point where I was excited to have them trying, like, reluctantly work together to steal this book because the book might have the secrets they want or whatever. And then even having respawn kind of interrupt it like an antagonist. It's very clear from this interaction that respawn, at least at current moment, is not part of this group. You know, yeah. Respawn is an antagonist to this team that is kind of starting to form. And I don't think I, I saw this coming. Like, when this book started, I don't think I saw it like, oh, kind of like a new, almost Titans-esque team is going to form out of this. But it kind of feels yeah. like it might be now. And I'm kind of into it. Like, there's yeah. the, you know, that panel of them all lined up when they're talking to Respawn uh, mm-hmm. in profile. And I'm like, I kind of want this team now. I, I hope this book kind of becomes this now. Right, and I like all of these characters too. Like, these are all ones that I already, you know, adding Flatline, but like Ravager, when she first started showing up back in the, you know, mid-2000s, I thought she was a great character, just doing the whole Deathstroke thing, and then being almost the anti-Titan to where she was kind of, you know, begrudgingly hanging out with them. I, I think um, that's, this is almost like kind of the, the opposite of my point, though, is that it doesn't matter here who these characters are before this no. to a point. The, the book has made me like them all in the context of the story. But one of the things that comes up a lot when we we try a new Titans book or a new Teen mm-hmm. Titans book or any new team book, really, mm-hmm. is that when it's a bunch of characters we already know and we already care about, is that they get this leeway and it kind of takes a little bit of time to figure out that the writing's not that good or that they're not doing a good job. This has this weird benefit of, like, because it's, like, a mix of some characters who are either new or not used that much or coming back or, or mm-hmm. whatever. The fact that it was able to make this team vibe feel exciting this yeah. quickly is like a really promising sign. Uh, yeah. And it, and it means that, because I don't think the plot has ever been the exciting part of this book. It's mm. always been uh, the, the character. It's always been Damien and like his interactions cool. with the others. The, the, the plot of like what's going on here is fun enough. I don't really yeah. care that much. I, I love the what, tournament, but I what, like what, what I care about though is these characters doing this together and being on this adventure. Right. I like the fact that that Damien calls out Ravager for calling the Robins on her. He's like, "You snitch." Or then when she <laughs> when she brings Connor Hawk over, she's like, "Oh, so first you snitch on me, now you bring this a hole that already killed me." Like just him being that petty and her being kind of the adult in the room, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, but yeah, no, this is, this is like, Williamson's very good at this type of stuff. Like you, I don't think you've read birthright like at no. all, no. but that book really gets cooking. Once you get to the personal dynamics of, of the characters and you start to see them interact with one another in different ways. 
and that feels very much similar to this one. Um, yeah, uh, so that moves on to round three, and Damien's fighting respawn, and conveniently lets himself get knocked into where uh, mm-hmm. Mother Soul is, so he can steal the book. Uh, so it kind of becomes him reading the book rather than paying it. And the, the, the final panel of the, the, the issue is Respawn's uh, sickle coming in to yeah. uh, grab him. Um, but it's saying that, you know, next time we're going to be dealing with who Mother Soul really is. Yeah. Which Damien himself is is, is realising at the end. We, we don't know yet, so we'll find out next time. No. Um, yeah, I think uh, what's fun about this is that assuming that our, our four main characters now, because now we have four main characters in this tournament, Assuming mm-hmm. those four win this round, they're going to be fighting each other uh, come right. round four. Which makes me think that one of them is not going to get there. You know? Because I, I don't think, like, looking oh, at the sorry. tournament dynamics. You know? But you have Robin versus Respawn, Hawk versus Double XL, Flatline versus Drenched, and Black Swan versus Ravager. Um, so, so yeah, that's a hell of a hell of an Elite Eight. And, uh, also, I like that, that Damien has pieced together what the Lazarus tattoos and stuff mean. Like, he's been, you know, about all this. And I also get the feeling, too, that he's into this tournament for the immortality, but not for the reasons we think. Right? I feel like whatever this Lazarus pit is, it's special. And I think he has Alfred in mind in that way that only Damien can be like, well, I can fix what I did wrong. Oh, I'm sure he and does. It, I'm sure that's right? what his goal is. And, and, the lesson he's going to have to learn is sometimes you have to just let stuff go. You know what I mean? And he's not going to be able to revive Alfred the way that he would want. Right. I just, I got reading this issue, put that into my brain. I can't get why outside of the, him saying there's something bigger to the, the league of Lazarus here. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I love this book. This is, I look forward to this every month and this is the Williamson that I came up on uh before he was at dc so i think it's the best um, issue so far I, mm-hmm. I i think the way the characters interact and the dynamic is uh put this into a new level that uh makes me excited about it on a character level and i think once a comic book reaches that it has sustainability because ultimately if it's just a plot that's interesting it, it usually is it's very easy to for it to decline very quickly if you don't care about yeah. the characters so um i'm uh no, I'm into it. It's, it's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Melikov Arts, you know, just there. The, the, yeah, the, the action has a lot of sweeping, a lot of motion lines, uh, yep. sense of energy in the layouts. The, yeah, perfect artist for this, just because when, when you get to the action sequences with the fights, it's all there. But like you said, that lineup shot when they're talking to Respawn just fits so well. Yeah, um, you, you feel a team forming before your eyes, despite the fact mm-hmm. that they never declare that they're a team or no. anything. It it feels exciting because it's like, yeah. oh, these characters are coming together. And even though they've not agreed to it or admitted it yet, they're all kind of on the same side. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I'm really hoping that we get like a good team for Damien to be a leader of uh, yeah. coming out of this. For uh, sure. Not, not, not that I suspect they'll like let him think he's the leader. <laughs> but no. Not with Ravager there. Ravager's like, just let him talk and we'll we'll figure this out later. You know, I like their dynamic. It's very the Ravager and Damien dynamic, I just realized this is kind of the Stephanie dynamic that, that we enjoyed in Brian Q. Miller's uh in that one issue, right? Where she's babysitting him. Mm. Yeah, so, it's a little bit like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's very similar to that. And and I like that. So 
Also, like, I can't wait for him to interact with John again. Like, I, I need to see Damien interact with the Superman version John. Oh, sure. Um, you know, after after whatever happens here on this island, how it changes him, you know, uh, I'd, I'd love to see that. Yeah. I also love that this is leading to this this little team becoming the team that's in this book. I kind of mm-hmm. love that the book wasn't sold on that promise. It just let it, it just it built to it and let, yeah. let us realize it in the story instead of being, hey, it, this book's about this hooked, team forming. Yeah, it hooked me with a martial arts tournament, uh, you know, Iron Fist style, and then was like, oh, you like team dynamics? Here, we're going to give you a team uh, as we build. And I'm like, okay, just give me more, please. Yeah. But yeah, if this is what the Robin book becomes, it's like these guys, uh, I'm, I'm more than here for that. Like, if we if we get arcs with them, um you know, whatever happens like a, like a, like a lethal weapon kind of story with Connor Hawk and, and Damien doing stuff like, yes, please. That's a weird leap that doesn't seem to be connected to anything else we talked about, but sure. Uh, <laughs> what are you giving this book? Yeah, I'm going to say 8.5. Um, I am also going to give it an 8.5. Uh, when I said lethal weapon, I meant more 48 hours. You know, the two guys on opposite sides. That's what I meant to say. The lethal weapon came into my head. Started seeing Danny Glover and Mel Gibson. I'm just, even just going with the buddy cop with two of them just felt like a weird sort of leap to me. But it's... Well, no, because they're both on opposite sides, right? Like, they both don't like each other. And the fact, like, they do, they have to go and figure out something for an arc, you know, and, and, and learn to like each other. I'm here for that. Okay. <laughs> so Deathstroke Inc issue 1 Joshua Wilson again writing with mm-hmm. Howard Porter on the art so this is the mm-hmm. the new book which uh, I was I mean I was a try it anyway because it's Williamson but uh, there yeah. was a there was a prelude to this in one of the Urban Legends issues which uh, was quite good and revealed that this was actually a co-Black Canary book which if they'd just said that in the first place this would have been even more exciting to mm-hmm. start with but it is, it's a cool headlined by Black Canary. And it's them working for Trust, uh, and they're going after Hive. And this issue really takes that places, which I did not expect. Uh, this is mostly a new direction for Hive, right? <laughs> Definitely, because last time I checked, Hive was like a... What, what, who, who is it over in, in Marvel? Like, like AIM. AIM. Yeah, AIM is yeah. the one I was thinking of, yeah. Yeah, they're like aimed to where they're these faceless henchmen. You can kind of hire Hive out, but Hive was just an acronym, you know? Um, here they really lean into the bug aspect, and I'm not mad at it. Yeah, there's a lot more actual bee-related things going mm-hmm. on here. Uh, so basically, Black Canary's undercover, uh, but Deathstroke ruins that by just riding in, in the big Batmobile. Because uh, remember, <laughs> Trust, yeah. tr- Trust have uh, stolen a lot of Batman's uh, tech. Yeah, uh, so they also have uh, Toy Man, but he's the the kid, like the boy genius version. Yeah, the new Toy Man. Yeah, is it? Yeah, the new one, and and so, but they've also gotten a lot of Batman stuff. So he gets a hero gets to play with with all the Batman's toys. But yeah, uh, so 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 Deathstroke storms in though, ruins the undercover part. Uh, basically, they suspect that this town is actually not a real town, and it's it's just a hiding place for Hive operatives. But when Deathstroke comes in with the car and raises chaos all of the people like robotic bees come out of them and their skin just falls and there's, there's a great mm-hmm. panel that shows this where 
Deathstroke picks up one of the husks, like one of the just the skin that's been left behind with his sword. So you see it just sort of draping over the sword. It's like, okay, they made this clear. They made this clear that, that this is creepy as shit. So it, it all of a sudden turned into a weird monster pulpy sci-fi story, which I was not expecting from this book. Nope, not at all. Like, when you tell me you're going to have Deathstroke and Black Canary, I think very much street level, like, you know, they're going to be interacting with the underworld of DC. And then Williamson's like, ha, gotcha. Uh, I'm going to make B people. And you're like, okay. um, I'm here for that. I kind of dig the the book. I mean, obviously, I would recommend reading that Urban Legend story if you haven't, but Mm -hmm. it does make a point of kind of summarizing why Black Canary, like, sort of signed up for this uh, and you know between the the first mm-hmm. page with the flashbacks and then there's another page later when she's asking deathstroke why he joined up but you know it's not just the money like that's like you've got tons of money now you don't need to do this for the money uh, there's a there's uh-huh. a panel showing that this, no, this is oracle asking her to investigate trust to, to find out who they are and yeah the end of the issue also plays into the mystery of okay who are trust really who are they working for uh clearly they're dodgy but um organization in DC. But it tells you what you need to know if you are just reading this as an issue one. Uh, it doesn't leave you yeah. hanging uh, if you haven't read that story. So that is neat. So they're looking for uh, the queen, the queen bee. Yeah. Um. And when they get to this, this you know suburban house, Deathstroke's got this ridiculous minigun thing <laughs> that he's walking about with. Yeah. It's huge, and they find her, and she's making jars of honey. And then she fires honey at them. And yeah. she's like a proper monster, right? She's a proper honey monster. Uh, yeah. Not to be confused with the, the Sugar Puffs mascot. Uh, Honeycomb, I thought. Who's the Sugar Puffs mascot? Sugar Puffs? The honey monster. Yeah. Is that... Hold on. This is news to me. I, I know the, the Honeycomb monster from, from the 90s. Who's like you're? You're craving for honeycomb come to life. Sugar puffs. Is sugar puffs a thing in the U.S.? I mean, yeah, but I don't think we have the same uh, mascot. It's definitely. Oh my a... god! Yeah, no, this is the, we do not have this. Yeah, you see the monster on the, the cover. I'm, I'm looking now. Oh, the By cover the way, of the there's box. an ad mascot wiki. <laughs> yeah. That this just took me to. Oh, there's no picture of him. Yeah. I keep, keep talking. I'm going to look up the honey monster. I thought you were just saying that as a general term. That's his name. Yeah, I know. Not, I, I wasn't making it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I have never seen this. I would. He would be my favorite. <laughs> if people don't know, it looks like a yellow version of Gritty, the mascot for the Flyers. Um, this guy, I want to hug him. <laughs> <laughs> um. Sugar puffs okay, are, are delightful cereal, but yes, um, and we even see like uh, like it's like she's building drones out of people. She's got like these like weird kids with big bug eyes, big bee eyes, um, and a dad who's just a honey machine <laughs> with a with, yeah, a with a faucet coming out of his chest. Quite ghastly. Yeah, uh, on that one. it's very body horror. Like, you could even easily yeah. see this being a David Cronenberg movie <laughs> if it was just a bit darker. <laughs> Um. So and uh, yeah, then one of the kids uh, turns into a giant like bee, maybe robotic, maybe not. It's hard to tell to be honest. Um, yeah, they kind of form together, right? Like, oh, you're right. The yeah, they do. Yeah, you're right. Bee. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so they kind of form. Yeah. It's like a transformer or a mm. not a transformer, a, like a Voltron style B. Yeah. Out of out of weird B things. Uh. So Black Canary, like they they deal with everything. They they're running from the honey and all that, and there's like rivers of it and blah blah blah. But when they get outside and they've subdued things. Canary intentionally fries the uh, equipment for a bit with her stream so she can like, have a one-to-one with Deathstroke and ask why he's actually really here. Uh, they do a funny fake-out here where he says he's dying and then just says, hey, I got you. But he's basically saying, like, you know, I've done a lot of bad things and, you know, maybe I should try the good thing, the good guy yeah. thing for a while again. Um, so well, how genuine he's being is open for debate, but it does feel a bit more genuine I, here. I do like the version of Deathstroke it's like, I'll be good if you pay me enough. Like, I, I don't have to be a bad guy, but if they pay me more, I'm going to do bad guy stuff. So I do like the, you know, money is a, is a part. Because uh, what, what do they say? The, the six words that got him there? Well, yeah, right? but I, I think that's not what this is, though. This is him saying when he when he's asked, I mean, whether or not he's telling the truth is another, you know, matter, mm-hmm. but when he's asked here at the end, he's basically saying, you're right, yeah, I don't really need the money anymore. Um, but you know, he basically thinks about his family, and it's one of the things earlier on in the issue when he walks into the house, he has like his own little flashback of like you know at the dinner table uh, with his family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, he knows he's a bad guy, but he wants to try doing yeah. good for a bit and see if it sticks. So I think this is actually for once it's, again it's, uh, taking him at his word here, and it's debatable yeah. if if he should. But um, I think this is him for once actually. It's almost a twist that he actually is just trying to do something good for a change when that's normally not. Everyone just assumes he's been right. a, you know, well, Deathstroke. So, uh, fun stuff. Um, so the epilogue scene, though, uh, the leader of uh, trust here. Uh, when I say the leader, I mean the one who we see running things, not necessarily the. Um, right, because we we still don't know much about this organization. Yeah, but we don't know who the the real person name. behind this is, but. Right. You know, her, you know, she's she's talking to someone saying they're going to uh, go after villains, uh, gain trust of the heroes, so they'll be unstoppable. But obviously, the heroes are just pawns in whatever they're doing, whatever mm-hmm. their actual goal is, whatever their agenda is. We don't know at this point. Um, but there's um, there's kind of a, a like a a teaser. The last page, it's like a coming this season on Deathstroke Inc. And it's like yeah. a just just three panels to tease things. It teases. Black Canary and Deathstroke in space, it teases them doing some weird supernatural uh, like House of Mysteries or something like that. <laughs> and then it mm-hmm. teases Damien showing up and yelling, you killed him at Deathstroke. So who who's Deathstroke possibly killed? Uh, we'll find out. I don't know. Yeah. No, I like this also. It has um, who I'm assuming is Deathstroke killing. I hate space. Yeah, it is him. Yeah. Uh, I hate space. Which I think is 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 fun. That seems on brand but for yeah. Deathstroke. Yeah. 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 Mm. I mean, I suppose the the, the the question, which we've not really said much of, is uh, did you like Deathstroke and Kiss You One? Yeah, I I did a lot. It's a lot of now. We'll see how busy the weeks are. I might just wait for this to be collected and go through it. Because um, if it's on a busy busy week, I don't know if it would you know make the cut. But I I enjoyed it enough. I had fun with it. I think Black Canary is such a good addition. I I I do like Deathstroke as a protagonist on his own is a little bit hard to deal with. I think having Black Canary, uh, especially Black Canary, who's in like sort of classic Birds of Prey mode, where she's like yeah. here working for Oracle kind of stuff, is mm-hmm. 
a really nice addition. Uh, so, you know, I'll see. What, I'll see. You know, I'm definitely reading issue two. I, I, I want to see where the the story goes and how it sort of starts to play out. Because you know, th- this story is kind of a one and done. I'm sure the fact that they have now kidnapped the Hive Queen, and they're going to get something out uh-huh. of her, is going to play into whatever's you know wherever it's going. Well, but otherwise, yeah. this issue is a very standalone thing where they accomplish the mission and they fly off at the end. And then there's a little epilogue to tease some stuff, but yeah. uh, I'm curious to see what it's going to be like more issue to issue going forward after this. Are they going to be relatively continue this standalone adventure style, or is it going to be something that I mean, it's, it feels like it may be standalone. Given all those teasers at the end, it feels like that those that, that could just be three different issues mm-hmm. coming up. Uh, could be. So we'll see. Um, yeah. What did you think of the uh, the art? I like it. I mean, it's Howard Porter. I mean, it, it kind of fits the zany style. So, like, if this was supposed to be, like, a, a typical Deathstroke book that plays with the shadows and the darkness, I don't I don't think it would fit. Hmm. But for it being, like, this madcap kind of adventure with bee creatures and a, and a honey spout coming out of a dude, um, I think it fits. Yeah, I don't think I was expecting this to be as, as zany and pulpy as it was. As as it ended mm-hmm. up being, but you're right, the art style fits that. So it's the sort of thing where maybe at face value, Howard Porter seemed like a weird choice for what what the name implies is just a Destro mm-hmm. book. But uh once you get into it, it's like, okay, there's a concept here, clothes, a game plan and a story to tell, uh, with whatever Williamson's doing. M- much like Robin, it feels like there's a game plan for at least, you know, the first big chunk of it. So mm-hmm. um yeah. No, I'm definitely interested too, I think. Uh Matt, what are you giving issue one? Uh, I'll give this a 7.5. <laughs> I don't want to just... I'll go, I'll go straight 7. I'll go straight 7. There you go. There you go. Uh, even though you're the one who's more hesitant to the sounds of it to read more mm-hmm. of it, but... Uh, well, no, again, I'll read more of it, but I know, you know, on a busy week, I'm not going to rush, you know, to if I have other stuff going on. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't describe this as a busy week, but then I wasn't reading two Bendis books. No. So <laughs> right, but that, that's the whole thing. If I have Justice League fall off, then for sure, I'll read this. Uh, all right, cool. Um, well, every month on patreon.com slash TV, patrons at uh, what, some of the higher tiers can make myself or Connor read a book. Uh, and I have two books, two September books to catch up on, so I'm going to get Not Goes Out just now. Uh, American Vampire Survival of the Fittest, issue two. As uh, the first of these, and uh, obviously uh, Matt always likes to sing the praises of this miniseries. Yeah, um, it's my favorite uh, American Vampire. It might be my favorite Scott Snyder work if I had to, off the top of my head. Uh, you know, some some of his Batman I really enjoy. Court of Owls is good, but yeah, no, this is this tops. Yeah, um, I think I would describe American Vampire as my favorite Scott Snyder stuff in general. I don't know if I'd pick this necessarily as my favorite part, but it's a very good part. Uh, the opening scene of this issue is a dream sequence, a nightmare sequence even, uh, with Felicia in the bath, uh, getting out, hearing a noise. It's all very kind of, you know, maybe sexy. She's naked and the shadows are covering things. It's, it's going for kind of that vibe. Skinner Sweet shows up. And all of this is basically just this idea that Skinner's always a part of her because uh, he's in her blood. And mm-hmm. uh, she goes to kill herself just to, so she doesn't have to live with Skinner, and then she wakes up uh, on the plane, uh, which is, she's on with Cash, they're on their way to, I think it's Romania, 
on this mission to get this this doctor who's working for the Nazis who may indeed have a cure for the vampire disease. So yeah, and that's kind of your setup. And they they kind of he tries to ask her about it. She doesn't want to talk about the the nightmare. Uh, and they talk about their aliases and what they're pretending to be. They're there as sympathizers that they're going to like fund the regime, all that stuff. Uh, just good character setup and good sort of fun. Uh, then they get shot out of the sky because the the pilot doesn't have the right landing codes, and they're very touchy about that. Apparently, uh, Cash is able to land the plane and a, a nice little two page layout, uh, which deals a lot. Of, it does this thing where the because it's, it's trying to sell the the, the landscape where. There's a nice long two-page uh, horizontal panel at the top of the plane on fire, and then the the landing in the snow was a big horizontal panel, and then the the bottom panel is a basically again another long horizontal panel, but it's split up into like four panels, and it gives you the sense of the the momentum of the plane slowing down in the snow as it's crash landing. Really nice stuff, um, from from Murphy, uh, who's on the art. I don't know if I mentioned that, mm-hmm. but uh. Uh, from there, they get out, and would you believe it, the Nazis are already waiting for them, and Cash goes all, like, basically in character, yelling at them for doing this, like, we're here to give you money, and you're treating us like this. But they give in to him, and they drive him to the spooky castle at the top of a mountain, which is where the scientist has been held. Um, the scientist is excited to meet them, he's kind of this sort of nervous Einstein-type character. Uh, and he shakes Cash's hand and he passes him a note which says, we have to leave before tonight's meeting uh, or we're never going to leave alive. So they're like, shit, we got to do this. we got to, you know, it's going to be a short trip. Um, probably the most interesting scene of the book, though, from a character perspective is what comes next, which is they're getting ready for this fancy, uh, it's a presentation the, the Nazis are going to show them. And he's got like a nice tux on, she's putting a, a fancy dress on. And... They're joking about where they're hiding their guns because they're what they're wearing. And when he like zips her up, and it kind of feels like it may get romantic for a second. When mm-hmm. he zips her up, he mentions that he, he's, he knows how to do this because he used to do it for his wife. And this moment lets her open up because she basically feels some sympathy for him, knowing his backstory, knowing what happened to his, you know, what's happened to his kid. And she was obviously involved in that in that, in that arc of the book. She opens up and says it was about Skinner Sweet, the nightmare. It was about Skinner Sweet. She opens up and says that she's terrified that he'll always be a part of her, and then brings up what happens to his son and apologizes for her part in it and says that you know she 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 thinks about it every day. That guilt lingers with her, and they have this moment where they just kind of hug and it sort of it veers away. It's like it's almost like it's like a romantic moment because it's kind of sexy. He's zipping up her thing and they're standing there and it's they're in this very big posh bedroom. But it shifts away from that to just them hugging in like a sort of more genuine kind of embrace where it's more about the horror and the trauma they've both been through and like why they're here. Uh, So it actually strengthens the relationship where they go from being these kind of estranged colleagues to having this bond with each other, which is really kind of nice. But the end of the issue is them going down into this, this room and it turns out all the people who are here for this meeting, which may not be exactly what they claimed it was, is an army of Nazi vampires, and that is our big final full-page spread. I hate those guys. <laughs> uh, it's a really good panel. Uh, it's, obviously, it's a horrific visual. I really like the, the colouring in this issue, where it really kind of avoids having red except the, the flags, just so they always stick out a lot. 
Um, so really nice touch because I'm actually you know what I'm looking through the, the entire book to see if that holds true, and there almost is no red other than a bit of blood when the pilot's mm-hmm. head's blown off. <laughs> there is no red except the swastika flags, and I think that's a really nice touch. Uh, to oh, the there's there's one sound effect which is written in red text, but I mean that's it. Other than that, it's all whites, browns, and beiges. Uh, you really get this sense. I think the fact that Cash has been a white tux mm-hmm. um, in this last part as well really adds to that, where it's like a very specific color scheme. Uh, technically, some of the soldiers, I think, are wearing green, but it's such a muted green that it's basically gray. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the red on their armbands really sticks out. So the art really does a good job of that. Uh, and that's probably the most swastikas of all in that last page. There's, there's just banners all up the walls uh, when you get this page. And you can see the armbands in all of these vampires. It, it really kind of... It's basically a, a kind of a simple thing where obviously they're undercover, they're, they're infiltrating. That final page, because you've not seen that much red until that final page, and the red represents the Nazis, all of a sudden it feels like they're surrounded. And that's literally what mm-hmm. the ending is. It's that they, they realize they're in a room surrounded by an entire army and they're really in the shit. So the visuals kind of really play to that because it's been building up the entire time that there's only just little bits of red and then here you are at the end surrounded by that red so smart colouring uh, mm-hmm. smart art choices uh, good issue good character stuff uh, yep. it is a comfortable <laughs> 9 out of 10 yep. so. I love Cash so good so good character <laughs> comfortable 9 out of 10 for me uh, so that is American Vampire and oh hold on uh, so, uh, other Patreon book is Animal Man, issue 12. And if you remember last issue, it was Animal Man and Vixen. They get trapped by Ahmed Ali, I think is the name of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, his kind of like foot soldier with animal powers, uh, Taboo. Was it? Yeah, Taboo. Maybe I'm mispronouncing that slightly, but yeah. Uh, so... The aliens were kind of, like, fixing Animal Man's powers, seemingly, in last issue. And then we saw, like, Ellen not knowing anything, I think, about her kids, where it was, like, she'd forgotten they existed. And it was, like, really weird, like, what's going on? Uh, so some of that is answered this issue. Um, you have to read between the lines for a little bit of it, I think. Okay. But, uh, but Animal Man, so, so the, the bad guys put them in this room where there's, like, no connection to any animals so that they won't have powers, or specifically so that Animal Man won't have powers. And then mm-hmm. Animal Man starts duplicating himself and basically uses, like, an army of himself to, like, fight uh, the, the bad guys and leaves. There's a great panel of, like, the, the main bad guy kind of, like, going, stop, stop, and he sort of got his, his fists in there, like, no, damn you, Animal Man! Mm-hmm. Um, he basically says to Vixen that he, there was bacteria on on uh, on the bad guy, so that's what he, that's what he mimicked. He he, he, sent, he sends the bacteria and replicated, and it's like okay, all right, very fancy, uh, but obviously this implies that his powers are coming back, um, and they find Vixen's totem, and they're leaving. Uh, Vixen plants a bomb, so there's a great big full page spread of the explosion going off behind them, um, with them uh, running from the building, uh, and Alman like sort of feels. Like his powers are back, you know. He there's a truck coming with some mm-hmm. bad guys in it. He uses the strength of an elephant to flip it over, and then he picks up Vixen and flies away. But obviously, 
pick your bird. He never specifies, but pick your bird. Right. Um, and it's like, hey, we're, you know, I'm getting good at this superhero thing. But the other big thing in the last issue was the mysterious thing that was being dug up by the bad guy. He had the, the army of, like, uh, henchmen or slaves kind of digging up this big thing, some sort of Technodrome-style thing at the bottom of this big, big mm. uh, dig-out. And so things get kind of wacky here. Uh, there's a great page, though, where uh, the villain's kind of, like, vowing, you know, Ali's vowing that he's going to go after them. And the building they're in is, like, catching fire because it's, like, next, you know, either connected to or attached to the building that, with the bomb in it. And he gets surrounded by fire as he's saying, like, they will pay, they will die, they will. And the fire's starting to surround them more and more as he says this. Really good stuff. Um, but I don't know, man, like, they, they see this light coming from this big, uh, big hole in the ground. And they go over, and Animal Man just decides to jump in. Like, he feels like he has to. Uh, so he, he jumps in. And meanwhile, Ali gets into his tank, which has got, like, a big lizard head on it for reasons. I, I, won't, I won't get into it. Um, but Animal Man, he's, like, he's walking through the, the weird ship that's down there, and it turns out the aliens that made him are, are down here, right? And they always kind of were. They've been here for 10,000 years. But occasionally they go up and use... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, they they use this technology, uh, the the mainframe or whatever they call it, to to go up top. Um, and they even mentioned later on that they've actually given like animal powers to other people. They've given certain things. They've they've, they've rewritten history. And we get into some really meta stuff in a minute. Uh, but before I get to that though, I should mention that while this is all going on, uh, the bad guy shoots a witch doctor. There's a witch doctor who's basically claiming all this was going to happen. And this is a dangerous thing. He shoots him right in the forehead, uh, in a really sort of stark moment. But he's tr- he tries to go down after it, and Vixen jumps down as well because she has to. So Vixen ends up fighting Taboo down there, uh, which is really weird because they end up just sort of fighting so long they get tired and just kind of like stop fighting. It's kind of an <laughs> interesting fight scene. It just kind of sells how long it goes on whilst everything else with Animal Man's happening. But they basically explain to Animal Man that something weird was going on because of Crisis, and that his continuity didn't make a whole lot of sense <laughs> because he was much older beforehand and now he's much younger, and yet his history still remains intact. So it sounds like when Ellen's like weird continuity stuff was happening in the last issue, what I'm getting from this is that that wasn't happening because of what they were doing. That was happening because... That was something that was coming anyway because of the weird continuity problem. And... Basically, they fixed Animal Man's powers, uh, and or the way they fixed them originally, right? The, the reason he got powers is because he actually technically died when the mm-hmm. uh, ship exploded in his face in his origin story. But they saved his mind and rebuilt him from the ground up. They built, rebuilt his body. And effectively, to fix his powers, they just did the same thing. They killed him and rebuilt his body, so now his powers are fixed. Um, huh. But... To fix his continuity, they have to strap him into a machine, and he has to use his own memories to kind of reinstate his loved ones. So he does. That's what happens. Uh, this all sounds super high concept, but it it bizarrely makes sense in the moment. You kind of understand it, right? As long as you have a vague idea of you know crisis and continuity being changed, this all kind of makes some amount of sense, which is really really weird. Uh, and sure enough, he kind of like thinks about his origin, and it kind of fixes things. Um, I'd have to go back and check the previous versions of seeing some of these these panels from the previous issues that have shown them before, but I think it mm-hmm. might have changed the age of Ellen to be younger, uh, to sort of like reestablish the idea that they're younger in this new continuity. Um, 
so yeah that stuff's really interesting uh r really quality stuff there's a lot of stuff the alien says though about um uh it's almost like they keep like an archive of everyone and the the, the like that's not the word they use but there's, there's a lot of that going on um the bad guy ali gets down here though and he's like hey this is my my ship now i found it. i dug it up this is all mine and he shoots an alien in the head it does nothing the, the wound just heals immediately um and the alien just waves his hand and says you're nothing but a minor character an old-fashioned melodramatic beast forgotten your story ends here he waves his hand and the comic book basically like devolves and what i mean by that is do you see the bad guy and then all the color goes away so it's just a line drawing mm -hmm. and then the next panel it's more of a sketch and you can even see the lines in the the, the, the bubble where the, the 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 lettering was written on and then it's like an even rougher sketch and then it's just a stick figure it's like it's like it sort of you know went back through the stages of a comic book until he disappeared so this is what I mean where it start that meta stuff starting to really come into mm -hmm. it when he's wiped out of existence here. Um uh, the other thing though is they say, Alman, that you know, something big's coming. Terrible times are coming. Be strong and be careful and beware. Uh and then the you know that the issue basically ends there. Uh Alman and Vixen are back up top, all the soldiers are down. And she's like, What happened? He's he's like, I think the good guys won. <laughs> and but he's not sure and that's the end of this year so we haven't actually seen ellen and the kids yet i'm sure maybe like seeing them again is going to be maybe a big deal because maybe there'll be some differences or maybe uh or maybe it'll just be like a teased until it confirms that they're okay and they're, they're back to normal or whatever uh but it does say next hour of the beast and buana beast's mask is there so buana beast is back next issue uh which should be exciting um uh, I, th I think it linked mm -hmm. his helmet and stuff even to uh, these aliens as well from like further back in history. So very curious to see how that stuff shakes out. But all of this like fixing Animal Man, like oh, basically you were broken because of Crisis and the continuity didn't quite add up, so we're here to fix it. <laughs> and literally having him use his memories and using his memories of his loved ones to reinstall mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of like sweet in a way, but also like super meta and weird and. <laughs> wonderfully contrived in a way that Grant Morrison can only do. So, uh, fair play. There's some fun stuff before wonderfully that. Wonderfully contrived. Yeah, the Grant Morrison story. But there is some fun stuff before that. I, you know, I like them them dealing with uh, the bad guy, the fight between Vixen and, and the henchwoman, uh, the, the the use of the animal powers again. There's a lot of fun stuff before then. But once he gets down and talks to the aliens, it actually gets really you know bizarre in that way that, that is kind of fun. But it does make sense for the most part. Um, if mm -hmm. anything, just the way the alien speaks is a little bit hard to follow occasionally because he's using all the, like he's just speaking in like kind of a weird tongue. But uh, solid stuff though. I, I I'm you know the the run's interesting. You know, I, I I'm always kind of a little bit concerned with Grand Morrison. He's always going to go a little bit too weird. Uh, but <laughs> I, so far that has not happened, and the weirdness has been like built to, and it's been kind of. Mm -hmm spaced out enough that you can sort of take it on each on its own merit and you can follow the story so uh that's good stuff so no uh, i i i uh i enjoyed it i i would happily give this an 8.5 so that is Alman issue 12 uh and that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week favorite panel slash moment favorite cover favorite art top five books uh and i only read five new books so uh all my books will appear 
Um, none of them suck though, so like, I guess it's not that bad a thing either. So, uh, Matt, your favorite panel Clearly slash moment? Clearly, didn't read Justice League. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. I did not. Yeah, um, it's gonna be from Action Comics, and it's gonna be Superman and Lois, just that uh, of them up against the sky with the moon in the background. Oh sure, yeah, it's really good. Uh, as far as that moment goes, I prefer the previous page, but yeah, I can't fault uh, mm-hmm. too much. Uh, I think I may, yeah, I think I may have to pick uh, the earlier scene in that book, uh, the, the uh, Superman running in uh, and saving by like sort of taking the pain from her, because yeah. I genuinely thought she was about to like die and that was going to be motivation for him. So it, it mm-hmm. really felt like it convinced me that that was going to happen. Yeah. And what he did instead was, and then the fact that that also connects to him basically is telling Mongol, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is over. I'm coming. Like, you don't scare yeah. me. Uh, so all of that combined makes that moment a really kind of fist-pumping, uh, special uh, Superman thing. So uh, good stuff. Uh, favorite cover of the week, Matt, what you got? Uh, also from Action Comics, it's the variant. Um, not sure who did it because it's not listed on the thing. I'd have to search. But the, yeah, the Action variant is really good. It's, it's uh, Clark and Lois on there i actually prefer the i prefer the regular cover of action well enough that's a good one too uh Uh, yeah my i you know i had a few there is a matina cover for deathstroke but i'm not going to pick it i'm not going to pick it uh i actually really like both the regular and the wanted cover for detective uh Mm -hmm. so i think i'm going to go with the wanted cover which is huntress in this case uh I think it's really neat. The fact that there's also a, a Behermo variant for Detective that I didn't even mention. Uh, I'm just, I'm just mentioned as an afternote. <laughs> is uh, maybe says how much how, Detective just had three good covers this week. So, uh, but I'm gonna go with the Huntress yeah. one. Uh, I think that's really nice. Uh, I like the regular one a lot though as well. So, uh, it's good stuff. But um, and shout out to Robin for having a, a nice cover too. So, uh, so play our covers to pick from this week, which is nice. Um, what's your best art of the week? So, uh, I, as easy it would be for me to go Sam Pierre for uh, action. Um, uh, Mel, I can never say it. Melnikov? I have to, Melnikov for Robin. Melnikov. Is, was my favorite. There you go. <laughs> I always want to swap around the N and the K and it, just, it messes me up. Melnikov. I feel like you did something okay. different there, though. You sort of missed out a whole syllable <laughs> where you said it the first time. <laughs> Let me look. I have to read it. No, it's Melnikov. Yeah, that's what, that's what I said. I said yeah. that. No, I know, but <laughs> I always times. want to make it... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got it. That guy, Gleb. I'll just call him Gleb from now on. Yes. Gleb. Mr. Gleb. Um, okay, so... Uh, my art of the week, aim. Oh, this is, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a lot of solid art. I don't know if there's one that stands out to me as being head above the others, uh, because I think everything had pretty solid art. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably going to go... I'm probably going to go with action, because there's some specific moments that I think really stood out, and I was really impressed with the storytelling that the, the art was able to sort of handle on its own. But Detective was really good. Uh, obviously, we mentioned Melnikov. So... Yeah, mm-hmm. but I'll go with action, I think, overall. All right. Top five books, Matt. Um, so I'm going to go number one, action. Number two, Robin. Number three, detective. Number four, Superman, son of Kal-El. 
Number five, Deathstroke. All right, I, I'm going to go... Number one. I wasn't struggling to remember what the first number was. <laughs> I was just pausing. I think you kind of were, though. I was just stalling while I think because it's it's, it's a very even killed beat. What did I what did I rate things? I feel like I <laughs> I feel like I, I did some eight point fives. I did some eights. Uh, so I am going to go with Action Comics at number one. I will say Detective at number two. Robin at number three, Superman Sonicell at number four, Deathstroke Inc. at number five. That's my top five. So, there you go. I will tell you what's coming next week uh, from DC Comics, uh, where I'll be swapping Matt for Connor for a week. Sorry. Commiserations to everyone. I know it's Sorry, sad news. Uh, but Matt will be back the week after. Uh, but next week we have Batman 114, so Death, Death State, Fear State rolls on. Uh, we also have Nice House in the Lake, issue five. That should be a fun one. Swamp Thing, issue eight, also big. Suicide Squad issue A, Arkham City, The Order of the World. I am pumped to try that one out, uh, based on everything we've seen and heard about it from the solicits. Uh, Batman, The Avenger Continues, Season 2, Issue 5, Justice League Infinity, Issue 4, Joker Presents a Puzzle Box, Issue 3, Crushing Lobo, Issue 5, Wonder Woman 80th Anniversary, 100-page Super Spectacular. I forgot this thing existed. Shh. So did I. That was a surprise when I got to that. I didn't I didn't remember that was coming. Are You Afraid of Dark Side issue one? Which is also a hundred page style book. This is the horror, the Halloween the annual Halloween scary story mm-hmm. anthology. Which I have to admit, I'm I'm maybe more excited about that than I am the Wonder Woman one. But I mean that said though, if I look at the creative teams in Wonder Woman, that might sway me. Uh Conjuring the Lover issue five, Soul Plumber issue one, that's the new DC horror book, which I am definitely going to check out. Uh, can't speak for Connor, but I am definitely going to look at it. And then Man Magazine issue 22. So, um, it's not actually a super packed week, but there are two huge sized books that uh, I will probably release one of. So, uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, that's what's coming next week from DC Comics. So, fun times. Look forward to that. Um, but yeah, uh, I will take this time now to thank our Patreon producers for the month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Bordenow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Excelsior. Not Stanley. Uh, that is uh, our Patreon for the month. You can support us over at patreon.com slash TV for as little as $1 per month. And uh, the $5 tier in particular, you get early access to the show by a day. Uh, so go and have a look and see if you're interested in supporting the content and help keep all the all the stuff coming uh you can support us for free as well of course by simply hitting the like button on youtube subscribing commenting or uh, for the audio versions uh rate the podcast five stars and give us a nice review uh itunes has that podcast addict has that some other ones do too as well so uh you know all those things help spread the word on social media you can get us on twitter at dc comics podcast so go and check out that uh, but otherwise that is pretty much it mm-hmm. that is the show so uh, this one's just over two hours this is the shortest one in the whale so uh, mission accomplished <laughs> hey, we, we did it thank you very much for joining us we'll see you next time keep reading DC comics and remember to never get lost in the speed force and you can't kill the boogeyman <laughs>